Hello and welcome to WGTC Radio, the official podcast of entertainment website We Got This Covered. I'm Jonathan Lack. And I'm Sean Chapman. And we are here to talk about stuff. Sean, what was that intro? That was the disc system theme from Legend of Zelda 1 on the Famicom. Yes, yes it was. Yeah, I don't know well, why. We were trying to pick music for some reason. We were going through Legend of Zelda music and Jonathan picked like the most non-nobody-gives-a-shit-about like, music from Legend of Zelda you could find. Because we will be talking about Legend of Zelda for about a minute on this podcast, because yep. I've got a funny story later on. But, out of all of like the great, just classic music that has come from the Legend of Zelda series... I want to save that, you know, in case we do an actual, like, episode for, you know, about The Legend of Zelda. There's enough music you don't need to bother to save tracks, Jonathan. Okay, good point. Um, Alright, so, we will be talking about this episode, not The Legend of Zelda by and large. We will be talking some video game news. We will be talking a preview of the summer movie season starts this week with Iron Man 3. Of course, we'll talk about this a little bit. The rest of the world already got Iron Man 3, making the internet super fucking spoilery. Hmm. Fuck you, Internet. And um, and then we will be talking the latest episode of Doctor Who, Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. Yes. Which reminds us all that center is spelled differently in England. Yeah, yeah, I've forgotten that that's one of the words that they spell differently. Yeah. So, yeah. I wonder if, like, on the BBC America airing, did they, like, change it around? <laughs> it's like, and it's really obvious, like, it's a, in a different font or something. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, shit, we need to localize this for America. Yes. Or else those, those, those Americans won't accept this R.E. bullshit at the end of center. Yeah. All right, so why don't I get my, uh, my Zelda story out of the way right away? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. Okay. So, I was at GameStop this weekend because I was bored, and I was looking for something. I actually, my brother mentioned that he... It, he's going to try to, because this is his last summer before college, he's going to spend this summer trying to play through every single Zelda game. He's not going to be able to do that. There he's done it. That's like every single Zelda game? Not the CDI stuff. Okay, yeah, well that, that's not every single Zelda game. Okay, he's not going to do the CDI stuff, but all the all the major like console Okay, well the ones. major ones. Yeah, like, you know. Because there, there are a lot of Zelda games at this point. Yeah, we own pretty much every one because he loves them so much. Mm. But yeah, even all the handheld shit. Yeah, because that's, that's where there, there are just tons and tons of yeah. handheld Zelda games that I've um, never even touched. I think the only two we don't have are Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons because... The Capcom ones? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but those are coming out for the 3DS Virtual Console, which is really cool. So, if you haven't played those games. But anyway, so he mentioned this, and he's mentioned that, you know, we only have Twilight Princess for the Wii, but he would really like to play that game in its original non-flipped orientation, so the GameCube yeah, disc. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I should go find the GameCube disc. Turns out GameCube disc is rare and extremely expensive. Yeah, I saw that the other day the, with, uh, what was it, Super Smash Bros. Melee on the GameCube is like $150 on Amazon. Yeah. Like, I just happened to see that and I was like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, so it's I've been... not that long since that yeah. game came out. So anyway, I'm thinking I might get that for him for his birthday, and I'm, I'm looking around, and I, I was out and about, and I was like really close to a GameStop, so I'm like, sometimes these GameStops will just have old GameCube games in the yeah. back. So I'll check. Now, they did not have it, but they were having... I, I love how stupid GameStop is sometimes... And I just have to tell this story, so I get in, and they've got this big banner, like, 50% off select used games. And I'm like, the girl comes up to me, like, they always come up and, like, they're like, what, are you, like, welcome to GameStop, what do you need, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what, is that, like, all pre-owned games? She's like, no, the one's in this bin. And there's, like, this tiny box in the middle of the store that's got maybe 20 games in it, hmm. and they're all 50% off. So I kind of leaf through them, because I'm like... This is weird. Yeah. And one of the first ones that I see is Link's Crossbow Training, which is the pack-in game for the Wii Zapper. Yeah. And uh, the price, the list price for this used disc 
is 49 cents. <laughs> <laughs> and I get it for 50% off. So I pay 25 oh. cents. And I get Link's crossbow. Oh, I, thought 50, I thought 50 cents was the 50% off. Nope. I didn't realize you... Jesus, that's like... that's Man, really, just a quarter. Yeah, just a quarter. Holy shit. That... That now, now I bought the game holder. Like here, Thomas, you, you said you want to play every Zelda game. Here you go. Yeah. So I give him Link's crossbow training, and uh, so I want to talk about playing this game a little bit because I think it's kind of funny. Um, first thing I'll say, it's worth more than a quarter. It's perfectly fine. Like it's, you know, it's not all that good, but it's not like an atrocious yeah, it's, abomination. It's better than bubblegum. Sure. Like a like <laughs> single piece of bubblegum. Which is 25 cents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the first thing I want to say is we've, we've talked a lot about the Wii and some of Nintendo's dumb gimmicks. Yeah. Well, the Wii Zapper has to stand among some of their stupider gimmicks of the last generation because it is... I haven't seen it. Like, I haven't held one in person. But as I understand it, it is just a piece of plastic that yeah, you put yeah, your Yeah, you set your stuff in. And it's just like, from what I understand, it's even weirder than that because I think how you pull, you pull the trigger with your... Like, you know, think of, like, you're holding, like, a gun, like, the hand that's, like, up, sort of, like, front steadying it. That's where your hand is. That's, like, that's the finger you have to use to pull the trigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, like, back where you have your, like, where you'd normally pull a trigger on a gun. So right. it's, like, at that point, what's, why do you even have this, like, peripheral to, like, set up the Wiimote in the yeah. nunchuck to look like a gun if you're not even going to do it so it's, like, you can pretend it's like a gun? Yeah. So anyway, when I bought the game, the chick was like, you're aware this was a packing game. Do you have the Wii Zapper? I'm like, no, but I bet I don't need it. And she's like, are you sure? And I'm like, it's just a piece of plastic. I don't think yeah. I need it. Yeah. And confirmation, there. not only do you not need it, you do not even need to hold the Wiimote and Nunchuck like you do in that orientation. You can just hold it like you yeah. normally do. And you just, you use the Nunchuck to move Link around and use the other one to aim and shoot. It's super fucking simple. The Zapper would make it more difficult. Yeah. And so... Anyway, basically it's just a series of like levels where they're all ass all assets taken from Twilight Princess. Although, here's the weird thing, it's the non-mirrored orientation of Twilight Princess. Oh. Which is kind of funny. So so you know, it's basically like just having the GameCube game. <laughs> well not exactly. But you go around and you start like first you're just shooting some targets static, and then it opens up and you're able to move around and like the monsters different Zelda monsters will come and you shoot them. And you, you know you try to get a high score, and you can chain them. And as we games that co- rely completely on motion controls go, it is far from the worst. Like as as most Nintendo in-house games tend to be, yeah. they're a little more like it's. You can basically aim it fairly precisely, um, although it always feels like God. I wish I could just use some buttons because it's yeah. like you're not nearly as precise as you want to be. But basically, the general impression is. This is what a Zelda game would be if they made the Zelda third-person shooter. Because that's what it feels like. You're moving yeah. around, you, Link's like holding it up to his eye level, and he's just, you're shooting people in the head. You get points for headshots, and it's, it's, it's kind of weird that way. So we didn't play a whole lot of it, but there's even... Here's the funniest part. There's a multiplayer mode. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a multiplayer mode. We start the multiplayer mode, and I get out... Uh, or Thomas gets out. I was like playing it when we decided to do... We were trading it back and forth. And then I see that there's a multiplayer mode. So I select the multiplayer mode. And I'm like, all right, Thomas, get out your controller. And he gets it out and it won't sync. And so it's like, well, what the fuck's going on? So he gets down on the ground where the Wii is to press the fucking sync button. It won't sync. Like, won't, the controller won't turn on. So then we realize, we start playing, that you don't need two controllers yeah, because what they up. want you to do is just pass the zapper back and forth and you just each play the level and whoever gets a higher score wins. It's the shittiest multiplayer yeah, mode. Yeah, it's like old what old multiplayer used to be yeah. on, on like 
for like with Nintendo on the NES or the Super Nintendo yeah. of hey like there's no way with the design of this game you can actually it's like you can't be competitive you can't really you can't figure out a co-op thing so here just pass the controller back and forth it's like two player mode on Super Mario, Mario Brothers yeah. 3 it's like yeah you, you just make your asshole brother like play Luigi mm-hmm. yeah so Link's crossbow training kind of weird and yeah, like, I completely forgot that that existed. But yeah. it's like, but you know what? Totally worth a quarter. Totally yeah, worth I'm a quarter. Sure. Yeah. To, to buy it and just like dick around with it and experience it and tell the story. Totally yeah, like I, I'd be surprised to find a game that was not worth a quarter. <laughs> I mean, you know, let's like old arcade games are like that's yeah. what you think is like that's worth a quarter for like five minutes of playing it because that's speaking, what you do. Speaking of arcade games, yeah, I should also mention. Something weird with me in GameStop, where Link's Crossbow Training is one of the first used games I've bought from there in a couple of years that, that actually worked. They oh. have their stupid, like, guarantee, like, we guarantee it'll work. Well, they usually don't. And here's yeah. how I know, a couple months ago, so I got into the game Soul Calibur again a couple months ago uh, on my old Dreamcast, and then I recently bought it for the Xbox, too. They've got a super, super good port for Xbox Live, where they HD up-resed everything, and it's great. But anyway, I wanted to play Soul Calibur 2 a couple months ago, and we still have our we have our Wii, which can play GameCube games. And I yeah. wanted, obviously, you want the version with Link, yeah, because that's awesome. Yeah. So I went to GameStop because I saw they had it for five bucks, and I'm like, I'll just go buy it from GameStop. Bring it home, and it doesn't work. Like it cannot, the Wii can't even really read it. Like it'll get into the main menu, and then it'll like freeze, or sometimes the GameCube or the Wii will not even know there's a disc in it. It was fucked up, so I returned yeah. turned it. They did not have a separate disc, so I, you know, I have not played Soul Calibur 2. Um, then the other day, when I went to GameStop, I saw, after I grabbed Link's Crossbow Training, I also saw, on a different shelf, they had Soul Calibur 4 for 5 bucks. And I'm like, for the, for the Xbox, I'm like, that could, 5 bucks? I'll totally get that. Yeah. So. That was a really good game. Yeah. And so I, I grabbed it, and I brought that home, and we put it in. Xbox couldn't even tell what game it was. <laughs> and we looked at it, there were no scratches on the disc, but then I realized, just looking at how light was refracting off the back of the disc, the disc was horribly warped. Oh, jeez. And then we looked at the interior, like the ring, and it was all cracked, like pieces were missing. It was fucked up. And I bring it back, and I'm like, yeah, so this one doesn't work either. So every Soul Calibur game I buy from GameStop doesn't work. <laughs> it's great if, like, when the new Soul Calibur game comes out, you go there, you try to buy it, and it's like, it's a brand new copy, and it's still just like, like, there's some asshole at GameStop who knows that you're coming and just, like, takes a hammer to the disc. <laughs> Basically, I mean, there was this one part on the disc where I could tell light would not bounce off it because it was, like, sticking up. It was, like, (laughs) it was fucking fucked up. It was weird. But anyway, so there's that. So, all right. Like someone put their disc in the microwave? (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of what it looked like. (laughs) And then brought it to GameStop. Yep. All right, so those are my GameStop stories. Uh, I have one other piece of stuff I want to mention. Okay. Which is that uh, Iron Man 3 comes out next week. I'm seeing it tomorrow, uh, today, when the podcast comes out. So I... But I think, you know, it's written and directed by Shane Black, who is sort of responsible for resuscitating Robert Downey Jr.'s career. He cast him in this movie, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is what Jon Favreau cast Robert Downey Jr. out of for Iron Man. And I really wanted to watch this movie before seeing Iron Man 3 to see, because I want to be familiar with, you know, the filmmaker. And uh, so I bought that uh, Blu-ray off Amazon. They have it for like seven bucks right now. Totally recommend it. I just wanted to mention this movie really fast and maybe bring it up again when we preview Iron Man 3. This is one of, like, the best... New movies I've I've seen recently. I'm sad I got to it like seven years late because it's fucking great and it's so it's such a I, I don't know, I don't want to talk about an old movie for too long but yeah. I just want to mention that I'm so excited this director is doing Iron Man three because you can so easily see how John Favreau watched this movie and said that's Tony Stark 
Uh, it's a very different character overall in some ways because this character is much more pathetic than Tony Stark. He doesn't really have skills. <laughs> like, he doesn't have like a big robot suit he can get into and fight evil. No, but he's also not. You know, he's not a genius. He doesn't like Tony Stark. Even when he's a dick, has a lot of obviously redeeming traits. Yeah, this guy's kind of. It, it's. I don't want to spoil it, but it's a really interesting. It's like a. It's sort of a comedy noir piece where they're always sort of making. I want to say making fun of noir conventions. It's very loving of those conventions, but it's having fun with them. It also stars Val Kilmer, who's awesome in it, and uh, Michelle Monaghan. But it's just it's it's really fun. It's Shane Black's whole sense of how he writes character and dialogue will suit Iron Man perfectly, and I'm it made me. It, I, I had been excited for Iron Man three before, but I don't think it hit me how excited I was until I watched this movie because this made me feel like the new blood that that series is getting could really take it to the next level. Yeah, so. cool. Wanted to mention that. But anyway, that's just random stuff. Let's get into some news. Sean, two big pieces of gaming news this yes, week. Yes, yes. Give us the first one. Okay, so let's, let's do the first one. First is Xbox, or Microsoft, finally came out, and they're like, we're going to, they announced their announcement. They said we're going to announce the next Xbox at an event uh, on May 21st. So we finally know, okay, like, they're doing fucking something. Like yeah. They're, at some point, it wouldn't have been great if, like, this had just gone on so long without them ever, like, directly talking about it that it's like, no, we're not even making one. It's just like, they just, like, everyone just assumed. I don't know why everyone just said we were going to make a next-gen console and we never even tried. Yeah, but, so yeah. it will be, as we can understand it, similar to the PlayStation event in that they've announced the date and time. There will yeah. be journalists in the room, but it will be streamed wherever you want to watch it, including on the Xbox uh, consoles. Yeah. So easy for everyone to see, yep. um, and they, they will. Yep. But they've also made it kind of clear that for one, what was interesting is that they just flat out said we're announcing the new Xbox. It's yeah. just a new generation announced. Blah blah blah. There's no being coy about it. They yeah. are announcing it, and it's May 21st. But that's also like what two weeks away from E3. Uh, I think three weeks. Three weeks. Okay, yeah. but it's very close. And I think also in one of the statements we read said that they will be announcing the software lineup side of things more on E3. Yeah, yeah, it seems like what they're interested in is bringing out the console, talking about the console at this event, and then, yeah, saving all the game stuff for E3. Uh-huh. Kind of makes sense with, like, where they're placing this announcement that you don't want to place all your eggs in this basket because Sony's going to be out at E3, like, showing off all their stuff there, and you want yeah. to compete with them. So, yeah. It also kind of confirms, I think, what we've been saying that this their initial announcement will probably be much more about the the Connect Two. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's going to be like focused on the Xbox as a like entertainment hub as opposed yeah. to a dedicated gaming device. And then all the gaming stuff, if they're going to focus on that at all through announcements, will be at E3, where yeah. that's that's where the audience that wants to know that stuff will be. Yeah. So, um, you know, it'll it'll be interesting. Yeah. Finally, yeah. I'm just excited to finally see what the fucking thing will be. Although. I like that even them announcing when they're going to announce it could not stop the flood of fucking rumors because the next day IGN put up their big story about we know everything about the new Xbox because there's a bit of a, someone said yeah. so. Well, yeah, there's a tech blogger who had who said some stuff that like you know what I, I don't know what tech bloggers knows anything tech about. tech bloggers have been saying a lot lately, yeah. Sean. We've been hearing a lot from tech I mean bloggers. The, the stuff the stuff from from that actually seemed pretty plausible. I can't remember did, like what but, it specifically was. But I'm just sick of hearing. It's like, yeah, yeah. Can't we like wait? at this point, yeah, I can we agree. Wait three like, weeks? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. We were literally three weeks away from this. So anyway, it's this is going to make things a little complicated for the podcast around that time because there's a lot of movies coming out in May yeah. we want to talk about. But obviously, we will do an episode devoted to this announcement. Although 
you know, I think anticipating that this will not be as big of an announcement as the PS4 yeah, event. Yeah, probably won't be quite as much to talk about. Yeah, so... I mean, I was surprised that there was much to, as much to talk about at the Sony event as there was. Right. So. Yeah, I think this will be... I think we know a little more what we're going to expect from this, but definitely there will be analysis. I mean, if we... Yeah. If they, if they come out and say, which seems pretty likely at this point, that it will be an always online console, we will have to do a much bigger version of that conversation Yeah, yeah. Uh, at that time. So, we will see. And, and, you know, maybe if the new controller is like the Wii U gamepad or something. <laughs> what if it was just the Wii U gamepad? It's like, we made a deal with Nintendo. Yeah. They're just, like, shipping these things to us. We're syncing them up with our console. Because, I mean, here's the thing. They're not selling them. They need yeah. to do something yeah. with them. God, but, you forgot about that. You can't buy... Just a Wii U gamepad, so if yours breaks, you're shit out of luck. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Anywho, that's a, that's a good segue. That's, yeah, that's a segue into being shit out of luck. Let's go to Nintendo <laughs> and see what they're doing in their corner of the gaming market and what the fuck's going through their head now. They announced something very interesting. Yeah, yeah, whereas, like, you know, we're, we're expecting, like, huge things out of Sony and Microsoft for E3, and out of that now, we've heard that uh, Nintendo is not going to have a major press conference at E3 for, like, the first time as far as I'm concerned. I think that's ever happened, like, since E3's been there. I mean, do we want to quickly recap that, you know, E3 usually has the th- each of the three major yeah, console yeah, the developers. Big, yeah, the big three console developers all have a big conference where they, like, come out, they're like, hey, this is why we're awesome, this is why you should buy into Microsoft or Sony or Nintendo, and just, like, you know, get out, like, for Nintendo, get Miyamoto out there, have him do some funny stuff, and it's like, hey, this is why you guys like Nintendo, we're still making Mario, Zelda, and Metroid games, so just keep on buying our shit kind of stuff. Yeah. And then also, like, the other third-party developers have been getting into that more and more lately, but, yeah, like, it's always been a... That's, like, the big thing at E3 is always, these are the major console creators, and they are out here saying what they want to do, what their vision for the console is, and what you're going to be buying come holiday season that year. Yeah. And so Nintendo is not doing that. Now, they will still yeah. be at E3. They will have, you know, smaller conferences. Yeah, they're specifically, like, they're having, like, one thing that's going to be aimed at retailers that I don't think we're probably going to hear anything out of, and then, like, smaller things focused around, like, individual games is what it sounds like. Yeah. So, this is obviously very significant, but it I would not call it that big a surprise for me because it feels very in line with how Nintendo has been approaching press. I mean, last year at E3... They may as well have not had a conference at E3 last year. They announced yeah. jack shit, and then they did all their all the stuff that was significant from that period of time in Nintendo news came the week after E3 in a Nintendo Direct conference. And those Nintendo Direct conferences have been working very, very well for them lately in terms of building up hype. Um, on the 3DS side, at least, it has not helped the Wii lately, but that's because they don't have big announcements for the yeah. Wii U yet. But, so to me, it feels like the significance of this is that I think Nintendo would probably rather just, when they're putting out their own news, do it through their own channels, and then they are guaranteed they will be the only story that day, rather than sharing news in space-time with other developers. But yeah. that's one way to look at it. What, what yeah, for me, like, I think... Like, I guess I wouldn't necessarily say I'm really surprised that Nintendo made this decision, but like I was still kind of shocked to hear that announcement, because it's definitely kind of this... Uh, I don't know, it feels like Nintendo's just... Backing down in a way, like, because the big point of these press conferences, you know, like, it is not in any way the, the most efficient way of getting news out there is, like, going out on stage and having a big spectacle event. Like, if you want to just get news out there, you just release that information online, and that's what Nintendo has been doing for most of their stuff with their Nintendo Directs. 
the point of the big press conferences is to have sort of a show of power, like like have a like larger like statement about their direction and what they're trying to do, and just being out there and saying we're competing, we are in this, like this is what we've got, and that's what I've always liked about those conferences, even though a lot of them especially in recent years, have not been fantastic because of how long the console cycle's been. Just like, there's not a lot of stuff to announce. It's always interesting to see what these major platform developers are trying to do. and like What their what, vision is, yeah. what direction they're moving. Yeah, and how they're trying to tackle the competition. Like I said, it's, it's about having a show of power. So having Nintendo back out is basically Nintendo saying, we're not trying to compete. We're not trying to be in this market with Microsoft or Sony anymore. Like, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. And that's, and you know, that kind of makes sense with how the Wii U is not technically on par with the, on the technology side of things. You know, it's still, it's a 1080p console, but it's like it doesn't have nearly the processing power that the PS4 or the next Xbox will, or is going to have. So, and then also at this E3 said, like, Microsoft and Sony are going to have killer conferences just because this is... They've got huge announcements to make here. And Nintendo obviously may, like, have something somewhat substantial for the next Mario game. We'll probably tease their next Zelda game. Maybe have, like, a Mario Kart or something. Like, maybe tease the next Super Smash Brothers. Like, they have some stuff, presumably, in development for Wii U. But I don't think anything... Like, they could have nothing that's going to compete with the sort of attention that Microsoft and Sony are going to get. No, and I I think that's the biggest thing to to say here, is that we do have to focus on this delineation with Nintendo between a home console and portable, because while the 3DS... The 3DS is doing wildly successfully. It's it's a success on absolutely every front. It's doing just fantastically well everywhere. Uh, It's out, and, you know, all, uh, you know, full steam ahead on that front. But Wii U is an abject failure. Yeah. So far, yeah, and basically, they've they've kind of already shot themselves in the foot for this console generation. And whereas you know they launched a year early, but whereas like that helped Microsoft this generation yeah, with yeah. the Xbox 360, it's really going to hurt them this time because because they, they didn't, didn't take advantage of it. Like, yeah. no, the only reason to launch a year early is to get games out, out there because you know consoles almost never have a good launch. Like, the most you can hope for from a launch is to have something like Super Mario 64 or Halo, like a like platform-defining game out there, and those are, like, other than, like, Nintendo has been pretty good about that in the past of having pack-in games, but that stopped with the N64. Like, they haven't had a good launch since the N64. Even the N64 is not a great launch lineup. You're not saying Luigi's Mansion was the greatest launch game ever? No, no, okay. I'm not. Well, you just mentioned was an interesting game, but yeah, definitely not what anybody was looking for. No, but yeah, like the so like the point of like having that huge window of we have this year before those consoles come out is to build up the library of games that that console has, so that when the other ones launch, it's like, well, I could get the PS4, but like there's only the only really interesting game is like Killzone or whatever it's going to be, or I could get a Wii U and look at all these wonderful titles, and right now. If I wanted to get a Wii U, I would be like, there are no wonderful titles. Like, there's literally no game on Wii U that I'm really interested in. The only one I'm kind of interested in is Zombie U. And that console has been out for, like, what, like, four months now? Yeah. And, I mean, and here, so this is what happens, is that if you if you use your time well, you get an Xbox 360-style, you know, launch where, you know, the, the launch window itself was not hugely successful, but because they were out a year early by the time the PS3 comes out, they were in position to clobber Sony. Yeah. Because they had everything they needed at that time. Yeah, and then, like, by the time that rolled around, they had Gears of War coming out. So it's like they had their fucking 
killer app. Yeah. But it's obviously a risk because the flip side of launching a year early is now you have Nintendo's scenario where these two new consoles are coming out and they are going to completely supplant all publicity and sales for the Wii U because they are true next-gen consoles and they're going to very clearly take market away from what the Wii U could hypothetically, theoretically have. And the Wii U has been... Might as well not be selling at all. Like, Like, ever since its launch, it is, like, selling almost nothing. Yeah. Xbox 360 is outselling it. PS3 is outselling yeah. it. I mean, that's not that surprising. Like, even if it was selling pretty well. But it's outselling it dramatically. Yeah, like yeah 10 it's, to it's outselling it by a lot. But it's yeah. just like, you know, the PS2 outsold the PS3 fucking forever because right. the PS2, it's like, there were people who didn't have them. Yeah. But um, So, anyway, but that, that's what's interesting about this announcement, obviously, is that instead of just trying to put their console out there and, and try to, you know try to take that market ground back that they know they're going to lose when these consoles come out, I think they're just accepting that's a lost battle. Yeah, it seems like they're trying to kind of maintain the audience that they already have because, like, while the Nintendo Direct things are interesting, I think the big problem with them is that they don't make any buzz. And, like, nobody outside the, like, gaming audience and even, like, the smaller section of the gaming audience that still gives a shit about what Nintendo's doing are going to care about the Nintendo Directs, are going to hear about the Nintendo Directs. Like, they're not, like, you know, they don't have the reach that, Nintendo does not have the reach that Apple does. Like, even, like, as great as Nintendo is, they've never had that much reach. And so it's like, they're never going to be able to pluck the larger audience they need to keep the Wii U afloat, or at least I don't think they'll be able to do that by having Nintendo Directs. Like, having the the other great thing about the E3 press conferences is that, like, sites that don't just cover gaming news address stuff that gets announced at those E3 press conferences. Like CNN. Yeah, exactly. Like, they they will talk about stuff like the PS4, like, launch announcement and the Xbox announcement, and then they'll be out at the E3 press conferences and address those. Yeah. So it's like, those sites are never going to cover anything announced out of the Nintendo Directs, because it's just not, it's not big news. And so, it's, it's an interesting direction that they're taking, and for me, it feels like Nintendo's like, I don't know if this is, like, directly what their goal is right now, but it feels to me like with this, we're not trying to compete with Microsoft and Sony sort of, like, backing out of the fight sort of thing. It kind of feels like they're not going to make another console, like, unless the Wii U somehow just does spectacularly, which is, like, it might end up being okay for them, the Wii U. Like, they might be able to turn it around when they have good games out there, but I don't think it's ever going to be a really successful thing for them like the Wii was. Now, and even the Wii launched in such a way that it had stuff you could buy day one. Yeah. That was there. Well, yeah, yeah, it had Wii Sports and Twilight Princess, but... Yeah. I mean, Twilight Princess is as, you know, big and good a launch yeah, game yeah. as you're going to ask for, and it was a reason people were buying the system, even though it was available on the GameCube. Yeah. But, you know, and that launch window in that first year, they had stuff out. Uh, I believe Super Mario Galaxy was in that first year. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I think the Wii U, they're, they're not, they're not going to have Smash Bros. ready for this year. They're not going to have a new Zelda ready for this year. They may have a new Mario Kart ready for this year, but even that is stretching, I think, because yeah. we haven't heard anything about it. And I think they, I think their plans seem to be that there will be a new mainline Mario game this year. But even that could be almost like... That would be seem like a mistake to me because their one big launch title was a Mario game. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, and they've been like putting out... like Obviously, there's a big difference between their... They're Mario games, and then they're Mario games of, like, the new Super Mario Brothers stuff. But, like, they've been putting out so many of those. And, and, you know, like, I don't know, like, it it feels like, like, 
backing everything on that one Mario horse. Eventually, yeah. eventually, it's not going to work out for them. I don't know yeah. when that's going to be. Well, even like his- one day there will be a really bad Mario game. It's like, or one day that's going to happen, or. Nintendo will be out of the market to the point where it's like that's never going to happen. But, it's like, but as long but as they keep on making Mario games, I don't think that's a bad one. Well, yeah, but I don't think here's the thing. Like with when we're talking mainline Mario games, I mean like Super Mario sixty four, Sunshine Galaxy, yeah, you know, those. Galaxy two, and and I should know. I don't. Yeah, 3D Ga- Land. yeah, Galaxy two. That team went on to do three D Land. I don't know if enough time has passed for them to have made a whole new one. Yeah, when did three D Land come out? Christmas twenty eleven. Oh yeah, so two it, years is. Two years is pushing it though. Yeah. It's because Galaxy took a long development time. Yeah, and Galaxy Two, they just they didn't reuse assets, but they reused the engine and, and some mm-hmm. assets. Um, but even that was a two year development cycle for yeah. Galaxy Two. So we'll see. And I, but here's yeah, the thing: like if when it's their first attempt at making an HD game, yeah. yeah. And, but here's the bigger issue here: I don't think it's about the quality of the Mario game so much as Galaxy obviously helped the Wii a lot. But if their success had been riding on Super Mario Galaxy, we would have died a a hard, fast death. Because Galaxy and Galaxy 2, while they sold well, they did not set records. And they did not propel the Wii to stardom. There were a lot of other factors there. And and, and I think it's easy to make fun of the the Wii for having terrible third-party support. But it had third-party support where it counted for its audience in some ways. It It had the... I mean, people were making games for it. Yeah, yeah, but they were making, making games. shitty games. But it. they were selling, and they were selling the consoles because there was enough software and shit coming out that the parents. I, so I can attest to this: the number of shitty games all the kids like, like all my cousins own for the Wii. It's like people buy like that's the thing though. You you need the software out there to propel people to buy the console. I mean, I think, I think what sold the console was just Wii Sports. Like I don't think there needed to be anything else out there. Like that's. You know, that's what the game was for the Wii, was just Wii Sports. Okay, but no one is making games for the Wii U. Yeah, yeah. So what is, I mean, what is it that's going to kickstart the Wii U? Because even if this new Mario game sells as well as Galaxy, which it can't because there aren't that many Wii U's out there on the market, and even if it moves some systems, how is that going to kickstart it to the degree where it's successful? I mean, you know, Dreamcast had two excellent Sonic games that sold well, and that is that's the equivalent for Sega of Mario. Yeah, those are crossover generational hits, and the Dreamcast died, and yeah. it killed Sega along with it. So, or Sega as a console manufacturer, yeah. it basically killed Sega along with it. Let's <laughs> let's be honest here. And the Dreamcast was day one to the its dying day in a better position than Wii U is now. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's yeah because because you like because like going online and talking about the stuff online, people always do just kind of assume. That once the Mario game, and the Zelda game, and the Super Smash Brothers is out there, then the Wii U is going to do really well. But that is definitely because, but it's a self-selecting only, sample. Yeah, only yeah, only those people are going to buy it. Like only the really dedicated audience, only the people listening to their Nintendo Directs are going to do that. And that market is shrinking. It's not getting bigger. Yeah. There aren't new Mario fans every day. I think there's probably fewer in some ways. Yeah, I mean, like for me, like if you were talking to me back in the N64, the GameCube days when I had an N64 and a GameCube and cared about Nintendo, I would have said. I'm totally into this, like, Mario games, yes, I'm going to get a Mario game, and then, but then after that, when the Wii came out, no, like, I I have a Wii, I played some games on the Wii, but I, I never got Super Mario Galaxy, I never got Skyward Sword, it's like, I was really kind of shocked when I didn't care about Skyward Sword, because Ocarina of Time is one of my favorite games of all time, it's like, yeah, that... And it's the thing about, that because they're not developing new IPs, 
they're just they're yeah. not growing their audience in that way. And I think they're doing a good job of growing their audience on the the, plat, uh, the portable side because they're the 3DS is appealing to kids in a good way, and so they're building a younger audience, and they're they're getting nostalgia of an older audience. Mm-hmm. But you know, I the biggest success Nintendo's going to have this year is going to be Pokemon X and Y, and that's yeah. a how old is that series at this point? Pushing twenty years. It's pushing yeah. twenty yeah. years. Yeah, it's fifteen old years old this year, I believe, or sixteen. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, with Nintendo, it's it's weird. It's really it's like I've got such a weird feeling around Nintendo now. With like the, now knowing they're not going to be at E three, it's just like there's like this hole there now because Nintendo's you know been Nintendo for yeah. like almost fucking ever. Like as far as video games are concerned, for my life, Nintendo's been Nintendo. Yeah. And it's been like that one of the big guys in the game. Like, you know, Microsoft still feels like the underdog to me because it's like, you know, their first console was the Xbox One. I but you know, we've talked about this a lot. I would fucking love it if Nintendo stopped developing consoles yeah. and just made games because they are they are at better than anyone else at making in house first person games. Yeah, or without first, a doubt. I mean that's because that's party. the only games on their system that are worth a damn. Yeah. And they're great. I mean, I think some of the best games of this last generation were the new Mario games. And I've, you know, people really, really like the new Zelda games. I know you have a different opinion on some of yeah. those, but it's, you know, still they're obviously high quality, great releases. Yeah. And as, as you, if Skyward Sword had been on the Xbox, would you have paid 60 bucks and played it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so that's the thing. I would love it if I could buy the Nintendo library of games on the Xbox or PlayStation. I would, I would pay money for all those again to have some of those old games I love again. But it's just the console side of things is dragging them down. And I think, I think for them, I think they'd be on better ground if they would just find out where their strengths are and play to that. Because they're fighting a losing battle at this point. Yeah, like, like the, the direction Nintendo's going to me, it seems like if they keep on doing what they're doing and like they don't decide to like kind of pull a Sega and become mostly a game developer, like it seems like what they're going to do is sort of like contract in and focus on the handheld stuff, which will only be particularly successful in Japan. Like, I think over here, you know, I think mobile gaming is going to eventually make that irrelevant. Like, at some point, especially over here, most, like, you know, I was really shocked when I decided to get a Vita. Like, I got a Nintendo DS fucking forever ago when that launched, and I haven't played much on it because I was not that interested in handheld games and solely because the Vita is so powerful that I actually kind of give a damn about it, and because it also has a library of all the PSP and PS1 games that I never played that I can tap into, so it's got a huge library for me. And so, yeah, like, I don't think, like, I'm never going to buy a Nintendo 3DS. Like, I'm I'm not going to buy the next, I'm probably never going to buy another handheld console because it's just, like, that market over here, there's yeah. not a big market for it. And it'll stay relevant in Japan for a good long time, I think, because the main thing with, you know, handheld gaming over there is just you have to consider living spaces and things like that. And the yeah, way and, like, commutes, like, yeah. trains and stuff like that. Yeah. Portable gaming obviously has a very relevant and important place in Japanese life if you are a gamer. Yeah. Um, and it's just, that's not, that's just not, are obviously, I think, a small, probably a smaller percentage of people in America play games. And I mean, it's just, it's a bigger thing that, you know, yeah. it pushes bigger in Japan, all of these things, um, when they're successful. Yeah. So. And then also, the Monster Hunter series is primarily mobile, so. Yes. That's, everybody fucking loves Monster Hunter. So, yeah. there's that. Yeah. If they didn't release it on a Saturday, or on a Sunday, their economy would shut down. Exactly. Yes. So, um, it, it's a really interesting time to yeah. follow Nintendo, and it's a little sad, 
in some ways just because it is this melancholy, like, as you said, Nintendo's been Nintendo for so fucking long. Yeah. That's so. like, it's kind of weird seeing them back down like this. Yeah. yeah. But we'll see. I, I want to see what comes of this when we get there. Yeah, because they've said that they're going to roll out Nintendo Directs, like, leading up to E3, and that's where the, like, announcements are going to be. Because, I mean, they had a Nintendo Direct thing a couple of weeks ago where they announced a bunch of 3DS stuff. Like, most notably, Link to the Past 2. Yeah. To bring it back to our Legend of Zelda stuff. Yes. Of, hey, we're making a sequel to Link to the Past. It's like, why? Like, I mean, it kind of seems like they're shooting themselves in the foot there because, like, a bunch of people's favorite Zelda game is Link to the Past because that's the Super Nintendo one that's, like, if you were that age to play it then, that would be your favorite Zelda game. Like, it would be like if they said, hey, we're making Ocarina of Time 2, and I'd be like, go fuck yourselves, don't try to make a sequel to one of the greatest games of all time. I'm not going to give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. But. I, uh, and yeah, I, I, I looked at this. I actually, uh, my brother has been using my 3DS, but I, I was home this weekend and I, he downloaded the like demo video that's in 3D for it, so I got to look at the actual 3D gameplay. I like what they're doing graphically. It's interesting. I mean, I have spent the most time of any Zelda game in A Link to the Past, and it's the sequel it already had, Link's Awakening, yeah. which is just a direct, I mean, it was for the Game Boy, but it's a direct... You know, it's the same style of gameplay and... and I mean, art. okay, every single fucking 2D Zelda game is the same style of gameplay. Like, mm. let's not kid ourselves. Okay. There's, there's, like, going to be a few different, like, gimmicks and stuff in there, but, like, Link's Awakening had the, like, thing that allowed you to jump. That was fucking crazy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's why I actually, actually have spent it's the most time as, in Link's Awakening. It's but, about as different of a Zelda game as Zelda's ge- Zelda games get from one each other, yeah. as long as they're in the same graphical, right. like, interface. But in any case, I, I like Link to the Past. I think it's some of the stuff they're doing where they are... Like, it's a it's a 3DS game that is actually very, very, very clearly using the 3D yeah. for effect and, and in ways that uh, affect the gameplay, and I like that. Um, but... But it, like, yeah, it might as well just be another Legend of Zelda. Yeah, I don't know like, why they Calling itself call it. Link to the Past 2 just feels like pandering to me. And I think it's like, possible that t- name will change by the time yeah. it comes out, because... But if it, then if it changes, like... I mean, it might not literally be called Link to the Past 2. I mean, I think the Japanese title basically is literally Link to the Past 2. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah. Although, like, their title's not literally Link to the Past, but whatever. Right. So, whatever the title was in Japan, too. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it's, you know, they also announced Yoshi's Island 3, which, I mean, actually, that's a good case study in that. Yoshi's Island 2 for the Nintendo DS was called Yoshi's Island 2 right up until the point when it came out, and it was called Yoshi's Island DS, and then... Wasn't the, because wasn't the original Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island, because it was like a sequel to Super Mario World? Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. So, and then a lot of people, I think, dismissed Yoshi's Island DS because it sounds like it's just a DS remake of one. It was a full-fledged sequel, and it's one of the best games on the DS. Because um, Yoshi's Island is great, Super Mario but Yoshi's World Three, Yoshi's Island Two, yeah. But then there's these problems where no, because Super Mario World Three, no, that's Super Mario Land. I'm sorry. There's also the Wario Land games where Super Mario Land Three was Wario Land, and then there oh. were four Wario Lands after that. Do you remember all that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but uh, what were we talking about? Because Yoshi's that was weird to me with Yoshi's Island also, because Yoshi's Island already effectively had a sequel in Yoshi's Story. Which yeah. was very similar. It was just down in 3D. Yeah. And then went back Yoshi's Island DS, and we got Yoshi's Island 3 for 3DS. I hope they just call it Yoshi's Island 3D. Which 3DS. Is probably well, 3DS, yeah. yeah. So, whatever. Um, Nintendo. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, Nintendo. It's like on the software side of the thing, still doing what Nintendo does, which is trot out their franchises that have been around for 20 plus years. 30 and, plus years for some yeah, of them. And keep on making those games again. Yeah. All right. All right. I think that's enough with the Nintendo. All right. Let's go on to sort of our main topic of the day. 
Summer movies, Sean. Summer movies. You excited for this summer in movies? Yes. Fuck yes, I am. Looks like there's a lot of good stuff coming out. Yep. 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 So I thought about making a list of like my top ten most anticipated films of the summer, which I've seen a lot of people doing, and I, I put down some, and I tried to make a rough listing, and then I realized ranking anticipation is the stupidest thing you could like do in a ranking sense. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't work. Um, so we're just going to talk about movies we're excited for. Okay. Um, and, and I've got a list here. Sean, you might have some others in your head. I don't know if you do. No, I think that's basically... Like, I'm glad you wrote down that list because I had forgotten about some of these okay. movies that are coming out this summer. So. All right. So why don't you, just off the top of your head, pick one that you want to talk about first and let's talk about it. Let's, let's save the big guns for last. Yes. But I still want to talk about something that I want to talk about. So let's talk about the Wolverine. Okay. The new Wolverine movie. Which does not feel like a big gun at this point yet. Yeah, it's weird because, like, that movie, like, you heard so much about... Hey, we're making a Wolverine movie. Sorry, X Men Origins sucked. Yeah. Well, this one's not going to be like that. Feels like they've been saying that forever, and we just saw nothing from it. And then, just like a month ago, trailer. The trailer just came out online, and it was like, "Oh, hey, shit! Yeah, they are making this movie. Yep, yeah. it's Wolverine in Japan." Yeah, and I okay, I don't pay for movies a lot because I go to the press screenings. They don't have trailers. Have you? But you don't go to the theater a lot. Yeah. No, so I, I assume you've not the seen the last this. movie I've been to was Evil Dead. Okay, but then you have not seen this trailer in theaters. No. Okay, and I, I have not either, so it's weird. I, it's like it feels like. But anyway, um, what are you, what are, what are, what are you looking forward to about the Wolverine? Well, I just want to see Wolverine like yeah. on screen again. Let's. I mean, like, I really wish that Marvel could get the rights back to just Wolverine because <laughs> Wolverine is the only X Men that I like really care about. The Wolverine's the only X Men that like Marvel gives a shit about outside of the X Men series. So I would love to see Wolverine in an Avengers movie, but yeah, like. Having Wolverine just by himself going to Japan because you know that's that's a really great setting for Wolverine because he has some history with like having samurai training and then also it allows you know sick claw and katana fights. Yeah. So yeah, like that part, like I just like literally love the idea and I want to see Hugh Jackman as Wolverine again. And but I did not want to see X. I never saw X Men Origins Wolverine because I never thought I knew that was going to be a shitty fucking movie, so I stayed the fuck away from it. Yeah, I, I sadly did sit through X-Men Origins Wolverine. It is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. You can go back to an early episode of WGTC Radio where we counted down our worst movies ever. That was on there. It I is, about that, yeah. It is an abomination. And yes, I think, I, uh, I want to see a good Wolverine movie too. And this feels like they've made a lot of creative choices that I think you need to make to do a good standalone Wolverine yeah, movie. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest ones, actually, and this was one James... Okay, we should talk about the production history of this a little bit, because mm-hmm. I will admit I was more interested in the Wolverine last year than maybe the year before when Darren Aronofsky, the director of Requiem for a Dream, uh, Black Swan, The Wrestler, yeah. uh, was developing it. He wrote the screenplay, or co-wrote it, uh, you know, oversaw it, he was going to direct it, and then he had to drop out. Um, and James Mangold came on. He would be... I can't think of too many films he's directed, but he's done one movie I flat out love called 310 to Yuma. Um, it's yeah, the remake. remake yeah. yeah. That's a great movie. Yeah. Great Western. Yeah. And um, it, that's really the only notable thing I feel like he's done. A lot of his other stuff is okay, but not great. Um, so, but, but I know he can direct action and he can do character stuff well. So, and they're basically using the script from the Aronofsky period, but I know, I think the Aronofsky one was going to be it wasn't going to really play with period all that much, like in the X-Men continuity, but it would not be set in the modern day. 
was no. something, and yeah. I think they've yeah. altered that because now it's. Yeah, been, it was probably originally set to like when he first went to Japan and got yeah. the samurai training. Yeah, and what James Mangold did when he came on board, and I actually think this is a good decision because of how fucked up the Fox X Men continuity is. Yeah, is, is he said it's set after the Last Stand, so further than the X Men universe has gone yet on film. Yeah, and that means that they don't ever have to worry about continuity in this film. Yeah, yeah. at all. That works. Yeah, thank God because yeah, what the fuck did they do to the X-Men movies as far as continuity is concerned? Like, why did they pretend that First Class was in the same universe? We'll never know. Nope. Let's talk about that for just a second. Okay. Because we're going to be talking about this again next year when First Class 2 comes out. Second Class. Yes. Uh, Days of Future Past. They didn't make a a sequel, Days of Future Class. (laughs) Anyway. um, Let's see. That's a bad joke. Yeah, I know. But anyway, I'm I'm thinking there's there's a lot of punny titles these days. Yeah, I guess. So, we'll be talking about one of them later. Anyway, yes. uh, so, First Class, that was the weirdest decision, is that the continuity of First Class does not fit with the X-Men movies in any way, shape, yeah, or form. Yeah, it literally can't. But, they shot themselves in the foot by trying to make it fit, and so they couldn't use any yeah, of yeah, the cool so X-Men. Yeah, they didn't use any of the cool X-Men, instead they're stuck with, like, Havoc and Banshee. Yes. Yeah. It's like, you know... They did an okay which, job. Which is even, like, Havoc was the one that drove me insane, because he's... Cyclops' younger brother in actual, like, comic book continuity. So it's like, now, because he's fucking Alex Summers. Like, he's, yeah. that's his, he's related to Scott Summers. So it's like, how does how does this X-Men universe, is he like... He's, he's like... Cyclops' father. Yeah, I guess. Like, I don't know, like, that's the only, like, time that would make work. That, that's, it's crazy. And it doesn't fit because we know they say in the Brian Singer films who the first class was. Like, there's... Yeah, been, yeah that's true. You know... The original X-Men movie. Even in Last Stand, I think when Professor X dies, you have Halle Berry crying in front of his grave saying, you took us in, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna keep your yeah. dream alive, all this yeah. stuff. In Last Stand, there was the flashback where you saw Patrick Stewart was, like, it was just Patrick Stewart and he was bald and it was set during this time period... It's yeah. like, that doesn't, no, that doesn't, Yeah, that doesn't mesh. No. So anyway, X-Men continuity is fucked up. I like James Mangold's decision to set this yeah. in the future. Yeah. Fuck all that. And I like a lot of the things I saw in the trailer. I I like the costuming for Wolverine. I think it, I really like that it's just modern and kind of, there's nothing all that fancy about it. They're really just letting Hugh Jackman yeah, sort of. Yeah, he's just wearing clothes. Yeah. Like he's got like a jacket on. Yeah, and I think that works. I like, kind of like that just the physicality is sort of what's making Wolverine this time around. I think they're obviously making interesting use of the Japanese setting, it looks like yeah. to me. Like you can tell it was shot in Japan. Yeah. Uh, I like some of the look of the sword fights. The the trailer though never the trailer has not gotten me excited in a huge sense. Yeah, it it's, wasn't a great trailer. Like it just didn't. Yeah, it didn't have like this like really nice pace to it or anything that no. like would suck you in. Yeah, and I, I hope it's good. I would love yeah. this to be good. Yeah. Um, but if you haven't seen it, you really need to watch the Japanese trailer for Wolverine. Or the Wolverine, or as it is called in Japan, Wolverine Samurai. Yeah. That is a great title. Yeah, it is. Why can't it be called that over here? I don't know. That's what I would have called it. So on the podcast from now on, do we agree we will just refer to it as Wolverine Samurai? Sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Comes out, I think, in July. Probably should have put that down somewhere. No, it does. It it comes out kind of on the traditional, like, Warner Brothers weekend, where Warner Brothers releases, like, a big Dark Knight or Harry Potter or something they have. Uh, and for some reason, Warner Brothers has abandoned that release date this year, and they're doing Man of Steel in June, which I think is kind of weird. So July is actually pretty devoid of major releases. The Wolverine is kind of the biggest thing, you mean but Wolverine Samurai. Yeah, Wolverine Samurai. But do you think? I mean, do you think Wolverine Samurai is going to be a hit? I don't think so. Like, I, I don't think it will necessarily be a flop, but I don't like 
it's just like the X-Men stuff doesn't have like these, these particular, like, I don't think like they haven't marketed this particularly well. It's been in development for so long that it's like tons of people have probably forgotten about it. Then like, unless they've seen the trailer, they're like, oh yeah, they're making Wolverine Samurai. And I think, I think they kind of used up all their goodwill on X-Men Origins Wolverine because coming out of Last Stand, it made sense to do a Wolverine spinoff because Hugh Jackman was such a huge star. Everyone loves Wolverine. Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah. That's what every... I mean, the, the three X-Men Fox movies are Wolverine movies with other X-Men in them. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Uh, especially X2. Yeah. And so it made sense to do that, but it was... And it made huge amounts of money. Its opening weekend was really big. Um, but I think it was so bad that it really hurt the franchise, along with Last Stand being awful. Yeah. That, you know, First Class was sort of... It wasn't a blockbuster success. It was a yeah. modest hit at best here. I think it's... It's only the international money on that one that's getting it a sequel. And um, and with the Wolverine, I think it will be kind of similar. If X-Men has any chance of being resuscitated, I think it will be Days of Future Past. Maybe, yeah. I don't think there's much of a chance of it being particularly resuscitated. No. Like, I don't think it's going to be big like it used to be. Because honestly, those older movies aren't that great if you look back at them now. Like, no. they, were, they, were a lot, they were a lot cooler at the time, but I don't think they've held up particularly well. Particularly not the first one. No. Like, I, I rewatched the first one, like, six or so months ago, and it's not a great movie. And I also, I mean, and I thought X2 was, like, the greatest thing I'd ever seen when I was a kid, and I looked back, I look back at it now, and it's, like, I watched it, like, last year, and it's rough. It's got some... Yeah. It's not great. But, yeah, we'll see. I, like, a lot of people are excited that Brian Singer is coming back for Days of Future Past, but I, I can't say I'm all that excited. Yeah. 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 Anyway, but Wolverine and Samurai, hope it's good. Yeah, yeah, All definitely. Right. Like, or you know, maybe it'll be terrible, and then they like they won't use X Men for a long time, and then Marvel can get the rights back, and then put Wolverine in an Avengers movie. Yeah, yeah, that's what should happen. Okay, but okay. it shouldn't be a bad movie. It just shouldn't be a successful movie. Let me like stipulate that. It's like a great. It's like a really good Wolverine movie. We'd like to like have on DVD. Yeah, but we don't need the sequel. Just yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, I could go with that. Yep. So all right. Want me to pick a movie now? Sure. All right. I'm going to go with one that is coming out pretty soon here. The Great Gatsby, Boz Lerman's adaptation of the F. Scott Fitzgerald classic. Um, This is a movie that, of all the films on this list, has the greatest chance of being terrible. Yeah, yeah. But I I don't necessarily expect it to be a good movie, but I'm really curious to see what the fuck that movie is going to turn out to be. Yeah, I think that's the greatest chance of being terrible, but I also think it has a very good shot at being really good. And I think I've really liked the marketing for it, more than I expected. And I think last May, when they put out the first trailer for it, because it was going to come out in December. Yeah. Um, the second article I ever wrote for We Got This Covered was one of our writers put up the trailer, and just his article, I forget who the writer was, was just mocking the trailer endlessly, and that was kind of the tone. And I was trying to say, the, the first the point of my article was it was sort of a trend piece on judging movies by their trailers and making fun of them in the news post when you're putting up the trailer is stupid. Yeah. Because you don't know enough about the movie to say that, especially when you are, you know, almost a year out from its release. Mm-hmm. Um, and second, that I do think a lot of the things we're seeing in this trailer make sense for doing a modern adaptation of Great Gatsby to me. Um, in terms of really highlighting the excess and doing it visually and showing yeah. this world as something that... You know, F. Scott Fitzgerald, you know, I'm reading the, rereading the book right now. Um, just to get ready for the movie, and I haven't read it in a couple of years, and it's really great. And just the way he writes about it, I think you know we th- you know we think of it because it's an old book we all had to read in school as being like you know stuffy, 
but that's not the atmosphere he's going for in a lot of it. I want to note, I never thought that. Don't, okay, don't, a lot of word, don't put no. words in my mouth. I, don't, I know you didn't yeah. think that. Obviously, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of people do because they only read it, they're forced to read it yeah. in high school and then never revisit it. So, and, and I think there's a lot of interesting things they're doing there. And more than anything else, I think the cast they've assembled is kind of perfect. Yeah. I think Leonardo DiCaprio is a great choice for Gatsby, Tobey Maguire, excellent choice for Nick Carraway. Mm-hmm. And more than anything else, Carrie Mulligan for Daisy is fucking genius. And I was reading uh, Daisy's first scene last night in the book, and it I can so easily imagine Carrie Mulligan in that part. And if you've only seen her in, like, Doctor Who when she was on Blink, mm-hmm. or um, some of her earlier film roles, like uh, An Education or maybe Drive, um, that's a, she plays much sort of darker, um, sort of more re- repressed characters there that don't talk a lot. But if you saw her in Shame, which was the Steve McQueen, uh, Michael Fassbender movie from... Uh, 2011, I thought that was the best film of that year. She's fantastic in that, and she plays this very sort of... She's like a great big ball of energy with a lot of inner psychological problems. That's kind of Daisy yeah. in The Great Gatsby, and she's going to be perfect for that. I, I just I like the casting. I like the look of the film. I, I even think some of the things I've heard about how they chose to shoot it in 3D and some of the things they've done with that are interesting creative choices. Um, there are some reservations I have, but I am super curious in this one, and it's one of the ones on here that I would most like to be good, because I think, I don't think a cinematic adaptation of Great Gatsby is impossible. I think you could do yeah, a good one. Yeah, I don't think, um, yeah, the way that book is written is not in such a way that it's like it can yeah. only exist in a book. But we haven't had a great cinematic adaptation yeah. yet, and I, I would, I would like this to be it, and I, and I think it would be cool if it was, um, you know, obviously I have bashed Boz Lerman. Yeah. repeatedly on this podcast because he made two of I think the worst movies ever in Romeo plus Juliet and Moulin Rouge but the thing is I think some of the things he does and I've seen his most recent film Australia toned down a lot of his own style and it was a very, fairly interesting movie for me I liked a lot of things it did but a lot of fans of Moulin Rouge hated it for I would say kind of obvious reasons because it wasn't a cut every half second Yeah, there were actually scenes where the characters talked um, you know that was kind of nice Yeah, but anyway uh, you know, I think, but I do think some of the things he's known for could work with a story in this setting in this period, uh, and I'm very curious about it. But yeah, about like you? as long as he tones down, particularly like the like I like the visual style, particularly like like looking at the trailers, I like the way the movie looks. I'm most worried about the editing. Like if it, if it is cut more like how Romeo plus Juliet or Moulin Rouge were. Like, Moulin Rouge is obviously, like, the fucking height of the ridiculousness of that style. But if it's like that, like, I don't... I can't see that working with The Great Gatsby. Like, no. that's just... That would be really dumb. Because yeah. there's nothing really crazy and exciting going on in The Great Gatsby. Like, literally, it's yeah. like, to, like, be doing that all the time. But, uh, That'd be really annoying. Like, I don't yeah. necessarily expect he's going to do that, but he certainly could because he's done it a lot in the past. Oh, so, he absolutely could. Yeah. But, you know, the trailers to me show that they are, they're actually doing dialogue scenes where the characters sit down and talk, and you can't do those with cut, cut, yeah, cut, cut, but, cut. but that might just be, like, the trailers. Like okay. like you said, don't judge a movie by its trailers. Well, like, but if I were judging it purely by its trailers, those trailers have a lot of cuts. But even that, I think, is unfair, because every movie trailer yeah, because tra- is, Yeah, exactly, that's what I'm saying, is that, like, right. like you, can't, you can't draw what, like, that's going to be like in the movie from the trailer, because yeah. it's just, like too small a sample of, like, very specific scenes. Like, I think if it's mostly made, I, I hate to trot out this phrase, but, like, a normal movie where characters talk and you have... Yeah, yeah, shot as long shot. as it's not made by a crazy person. Yeah. But, like, like, right. like, as long as it looks like there's, like, someone wasn't just, like, you know, popping pills in the editing right. room and just, like... 
And I think if we get a little bit of that here and there to demonstrate some of the party atmosphere and stuff, that will yeah. be okay. We'll yeah, see. like for very like specific scenes, it might yeah. work. But it's like when it like permeates the entire movie, it fucking drives me insane. Like I'm, Rouge. I'm also really curious to see what the music is going to be yeah, like. Yeah, that's the other point is that none of the trailers, at least that I've seen, have used any like jazz whatsoever. And to me, that is like a like because this is it's Great Gatsby is such a period piece of the 20s. It's like that's jazz. Like you have to have jazz in the movie and it has to play a very prominent role. Like, yeah. if if they don't do that, if they, like, stick with, like, all the, like, trailers have had, like, these modern, like, I think, like, the first trailer had, like, a Jay-Z song or something on well, it. Well, Jay-Z's doing the soundtrack. Oh, okay. So that's why. So, yeah. if, it's, if it's very modern musical style, like, it might not make it a bad movie, but it would make it a really disappointing movie to me, because, okay. like, that would be, well, I would consider that not to be a very good adaptation, like, taking this, like, very specific period piece of a story, and then being, like, still setting it in that period, but saying, like, no, fuck it, we're doing Jay-Z music. Well, and I've, like I've Jay Z music, Jay Z music, and I actually researched this a little bit last night because I wanted to talk about it on the podcast. But I read a little bit about the soundtrack and read some interviews with Jay Z and Boz Lerman, and they said they will be implementing jazz. They want that to be part of the fabric of the movie, but they also wanted to put in some modern musical styles because they wanted to have something that would be a touchstone for modern audiences of like you know some 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 musical styles that have the same fervor today as jazz did back then. And I see the logic in that. Yeah. I, I don't know if the execution will be great. I do see the logic in that argument. But I also feel that that's kind of like the argument of Shakespeare doesn't work for kids unless we're doing it yeah, you know, at 20 yeah. miles an hour or, or 100 miles an hour. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Like, Great Gatsby, like I said, it's a move. This, on this list, it's the movie I'm most curious to see what the fuck it's going to be like when it comes yeah. out. Because just like when you just heard Boz Lerman is doing a Great Gatsby adaptation, you're like, what the fuck? Is that going to be? Fuck is that? Yeah, and I I feel a little bad for the movie because it's pretty obvious most critics and reporters have their knives out for this one, yeah. and I feel like no matter what, this movie is going to get awful reviews because I think most critics have already written their reviews. This is just I kind of I kind of feel the atmosphere on these sometimes. And, yeah, you know it's it's happened in the past, and I think it will happen with this one. But I want to give it a fair shake and. Hope it's good. I mean, who knows? Maybe if it's really successful, Boz Lerman can, like, adapt Farewell to Arms or something. Like, just, like, let's just go down lo- all the classic... I would American love... Culture. I would love to see his Farewell to Arms, and I would love it to be just Moulin Rouge style, <laughs> and just watch it like that, and do, like, scenes in the trenches where people are just, like, bobbing in and out of the camera at a wide-angle lens, and, like, there's just hip-hop music playing, and then they break like, into that would it. be the complete antithesis of yes, Ernest the Ernest Hemingway, Hemingway's, like... Very just like stoic, yeah. stark writing style. Yeah. yeah, at the end, like they're, they're just breaking into song over and over, and like he would like when the main character goes out into the street at the end after his wife and unborn child have died, he Spoilers. breaks he break dances down the street or something. Like it would be an awful movie, but it would be a comedic masterpiece. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Lerman's a farewell to arms coming twenty fourteen. We can all look forward to that. Yes. All right, Sean, pick a movie. Okay, pick a movie, any movie. Let's do Pacific Rim, a movie I am really fucking excited about. Oh, hell yeah. Because, I don't know if I've talked about it a lot on this podcast, but I am a huge, huge Godzilla fan. Like, those are some movies I watched all the fucking time as a kid. They're some of my favorite movies, just of, like, I don't think they're, like, the greatest movies ever made, but fucking, they are fun fucking movies to watch. Yeah. That Daikaiju, like, giant monster movie, Japanese movie style. I fucking adore, and Pacific Rim, obviously, is, like, trying to do a modern version of that, 
And fuck yeah. And Guillermo del Toro's doing it, so yeah. fuck yeah. This basically looks like what the American Godzilla movie should have been. Yeah, yeah. And Guillermo- and hopefully like the next one will be the one that Legendary Pictures is making. Yeah. I mean, I think it's as simple as this. You know, we say like, Boz Lerman doing The Great Gatsby, what the fuck? Yeah. Guillermo del Toro doing Gai- Daikaiju? Yeah. Yes! yes! Fuck yes! 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 <laughs> that is perfect. Absolutely perfect. Yes. It's gonna, yeah. And I, I kind of love that the trailers have told us nothing. It's yeah. just, all they're showing is that there will be robots, and there will be monsters, and they will fucking fight. Yeah, and that's all you need to know. That's yeah. the perfect fucking trailer. Yeah. But it's got Idris Elba shouting out orders. Yeah. It's just like, I think it's I think it knows what its priorities are, and I, I hope it's great. And I've, yeah. And some of the things I've heard about it, I'll say from, you know, people who have seen more of the movie. I know there's some journalists who were shown, like, maybe a 30-minute reel or something. They mm-hmm. did some stuff at CinemaCon. Is that there is a lot more to it than they're showing us. And that it will, it's like, this movie really, they're, they're only showing the tip of the iceberg. And that's, that excites me. Yeah. Like, like this is going to make up for, like, the whole Transformers left, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. Like, this, yeah, that's just, there hasn't been a movie like this as far as I'm concerned, since Godzilla Final Wars, which was the last Godzilla movie that Tojo Toho made. So. Yeah, and there's never really been one in America. Like this. Yeah, other than when they released Godzilla 2000 in theaters over here. <laughs> Dubbed horribly. Yeah. So well, charming. Yeah. That's the way you watch a Godzilla movie, as far as I'm concerned. At least, like, the, the not the first Godzilla movie, Godzilla yeah. movies, watch them dubbed, because th- those are the only types of movies you can watch dubbed in English in live action. Because if you try to watch a serious movie dubbed in live action, there's no fucking way to take that seriously. But if it's a Godzilla movie, it's great. You've got, like, Martian dudes turning into apes when they get killed. Like, that's perfect. Perfect. (laughs) So, yeah. I don't even know if there's much to say about Pacific Rim, except it's going to be great. Weird title, though. Yeah. Like, I don't know... Don't I don't know what that title's supposed to mean. What's it, maybe it'll be like? There's something like something really important in the movie, but I mean the Pacific Rim is a place. Yeah, I know, but, yeah. but like I don't know why. You know, this doesn't seem like it's some yeah. sort of like it's about the Pacific Rim. Yeah. So yeah. Also, you know, there's a weird thing in the the first trailer where they had uh, Ellen McLean, the, the voice of Gladys, is the voice of like one of the AIs, and they just did Gladys. Yeah, they just did the Gladys filter on it. I think that's kind of awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird, but yeah, kind of awesome. Yeah. So, all signs point to yes. And I think it should be said, this is Guillermo del Toro's first film since Hellboy 2. It's oh, geez, been yeah. five years. Yeah, because he, he was like tied into all that Hobbit stuff for a really yeah. long time. Which I, I kind of feel bad for him now, because he lost a good chunk of his life for that. Yeah. So, hopefully he can get back. I know he's got a lot of projects on the horizon, and he's even said he would love if, if Legendary's Godzilla movie, because Legendary is making Pacific Rim also, and they're making a new Godzilla film that looks promising, uh, from what we've heard. So uh, he, he says if, he would love to cross those two worlds over at some point. Yeah, like, this is like if we're getting into the era of dumb but kind of awesome movie crossovers, like after like the Avengers sort of like opens that door, I am happy for like the next decade of movies if like this is what we're doing. Like we're doing Evil Dead crossovers, we're doing Pacific Rim and Godzilla. Fuck yes. Yes. Let's do that. Do them. All right, so that's Pacific Rim. Yep. Uh, speaking of, of sort of sci-fi films that we don't have, a, I don't know if you can call Pacific Rim sci-fi, but... Yeah, like, like crazy giant robot action movie. Okay. Um, but, you know, in that realm, uh, it's not even in the same realm, but another movie that we, from an, a director we really like that we don't know a whole lot about yet is Elysium. It's the new yeah. Neil Blomkamp film coming out in August. It's the, 
his first film since District 9, which was his first yeah. film. And um, uh, District 9, thumbs up? Yeah, I really like that movie. Yeah, so. I love that movie. And, and Neil Blomkamp, who was once set to direct the Halo movie, which would have yeah. been cool to see. I do like how that is so tied to him that every time it comes up anywhere... That has to be stated. Of yes. he was going to probably direct the Halo movie had that been made. I think some people know him more for that than what he's actually done. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that's true. I mean, is there any director who is so tied to something they never got to make? I don't think so. Yeah, it's like he the Halo movie that was never made. Yeah, they're like tied together forever. And I don't, you know, I don't want to. This is not an insult to Halo when I say this, but I think District Nine revealed that Neil Blomkamp. I think his skills can be put to better use than the Halo movie. I um, guess. I mean. I, like he could have made the Halo movie really awesome. Like yeah, there's but a I don't potential know if there's, yeah. in the Halo universe you could have done something like almost District Nine. Yeah. But you know, I I think that ship has sailed yeah, a long yeah, time no, ago. That's fucking, and, yeah, that's Yeah. So I'm you know, all the people are like, Oh, he's making Elysium, I want to see him go back and make the Halo movie. I don't need that. Yeah, no, But I'm really interested in Elysium. I, I actually know absolutely nothing about it. I, I saw the first trailer and it's there's stuff about there are people who are really rich and they are like in a space thing. Okay. Uh, I have not. Yeah, I've not watched the trailer. I would love to be able to go into this one cold, if that's at all possible. When the trailer gives almost like absolutely right. nothing. Okay, away. that's good. I just it's like, you know, I have come this far. So if I can get to August, it's so rare these days with yeah. movies. But yeah, it's it's Neil Blomkamp. It's got Matt Damon. It's got some other cool people. I think. Uh, was there anyone else in the trailer you remember? Not specifically. It's been a really long time since I watched that trailer. Okay. But I know they also did a CinemaCon presentation for this one, and the reaction out of it was hugely positive, too. So, like Pacific Rim, don't know a lot about it yet, and I like that. Yeah, yeah. I just trust that Neil Blomkamp knows what he's doing. I'm really interested to see more from him, and uh, I'm, I'm glad we're getting this movie. Yeah, yeah. All right, so, Sean, you want to pick a movie? Let's talk about maybe the strangest, like, how this movie came about on the list. Let's talk about Much Ado About Nothing. Yes. The movie that Joss Whedon made... Just kind of, huh? Uh, okay. I made this movie. I'll, I'll tell it. Okay. Okay. So, Avengers, he makes the Avengers, and as you usually do, between principal photography and post-production, you take a little break. Yeah. Because shooting the Avengers was probably hellish in the amount of work he had to do, yeah. and post-production was going to be hellish, so you take a break. And, you know, you go see your wife and children for the first time in months, probably, yeah. because you've been working 12-hour days. Well, Joss Whedon is insane. And in his one-month break he had, he decided to use his house to shoot a film adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing uh, with a bunch of actors from the Whedonverse, including yeah. Alex Denisoff and um, Amy Acker yeah. and Nathan Fillion and all sorts of other really actors we love. Yeah, and, basically the cast from Angel and some of the people from Buffy, like side yeah. people, I think. But, yeah. yeah, and Clark Gregg from Avengers yeah. is in it. So, And he shot it, and then suddenly, like the summer after that, we just got a little announcement like this movie exists. Yeah, and you're just like, what? Uh, okay. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah, and it's he shot it in black and white. Yeah, just did it at his house, and it, it sounded like initially like the kind of thing that I, I was wondering is this going to be like a Doctor Horrible? He's going to put it out online. Yeah, that's what it kind of seemed like to me too. Just because it was like, so hey, I just kind of made this thing that yeah. like it, I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be a theatrical release. It's a theatrical release. Well, there here's was, the thing. There was in, a trailer in, for in front of Evil Dead. Yeah, which I thought was a really weird match. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All the Evil Dead fans love them, they're Shakespeare. Exactly. Anyway, um, but much... Anyway, I, I think this is kind of funny because, you know, obviously the, the announcement came before Avengers came out. And I think the plan probably was to do something smaller scale with it. Yeah. But then Avengers made a billion and a half dollars. Yeah. 
So, yeah, it was going to be a big release. So from the director of The Avengers comes Much Ado About, about nothing. nothing. So it had its premiere last year at, I believe, Venice, the Venice Film Festival. Uh, people really loved it there, and it's getting a full theatrical release this summer. And actually, this is the one I, one of the ones I'm most excited for. I, I love Joss Whedon, and, I, and Much Ado About Nothing is my favorite Shakespeare play. And I think it actually feels like if Joss Whedon were writing plays back in the 1500s, this is what he would write. It sounds like, like, I actually think you can see some influences from Much Ado About Nothing in Joss Whedon's own writing, and, and the way he approaches um, characters bouncing off one another and gender politics. It's really interesting, and I think it's going to be a really good match, and I love the cast he's assembled, and I think it looks like a lot of fun. I, I always like a Shakespeare film that doesn't take itself so seriously and every, you know and isn't so yeah. high-minded about itself, and just, just let the language be there and just have fun with it, and it looks like that's what this movie's doing, so... I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like this is probably the movie I'm I'm not hugely excited for this. Like I I don't particularly like Shakespeare film adaptations. Like it just doesn't do anything for me. But I just like the story behind this movie. Like <laughs> I'll probably eventually see this movie one day. I'm, I'm not going to see it in theaters, but I just like knowing that this movie got made in that way. And just, like, having that information in my head, I like that. Yeah, and it is another one like Dr. Horrible, where Joss Whedon just paid for it out of his own yeah. bank account. <laughs> so, I do think it's a it's a disappointment that the trailer does not say in, like, bright neon letters from the director of The Avengers. Yeah. Starring Clark Gregg from The Avengers. Yes. <laughs> because they're just, I just, it's, it's so great that this is his follow-up to The Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you want me to pick a movie? Any more to say about this one? No, sure, you, right. you pick one. Well, while we're on the less, let's see, while we're on kind of the smaller ends of things, another one that I am really, really looking forward to is The World's End. And this is the new film from Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg. Yeah. Um, they, you know, if you don't know them, they wrote, uh, Simon Pegg co-writes the scripts and Edgar Wright directs, and, and Simon Pegg obviously stars with Nick Frost in Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, so we had a sort of, Zombie. They're not quite parodies because they're they have parody elements, but they also yeah are, yeah they're 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 parodies, but then they're they're like well like more like parody satire, but then they're also just good examples of the genre. Itself yeah, like Shaun of place. Shaun of the Dead, good zombie movie. Yeah, yeah, and no. and also good zombie satire. And yeah. then Hot Fuzz, great action movie, great action movie satire. Mm-hmm. I I fucking love the hell out of those movies. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's worth noting those are also movies with just big hearts and really great characters and great performances. And the world's end is sort of the the third in that sort of cycle they're doing. Um, we don't we know very little about it. The the title yeah. kind of implies that this might have an apocalyptic side to it, but it might also not because yeah. the the world's end refers to the only story details we know is that that's a pub in the place where these characters live. Simon Pegg and Nick, Nick Frost are friends again, obviously, and um, the, all their life they've wanted to do a pub crawl from basically a starting bar all the way to the world's end bar, and they finally they get together after like ten years apart to do it. And then some weird shit starts happening. And that's all we know so far. And that's all I need to know. I just, I just, that these guys are making another movie is enough yeah, for me. Yeah. It's been a long time since Hot Fuzz, and I am so excited for this. Yeah. So. Yep. Yep. The world's end. Yes. Um, and then Edgar Wright will go off after this to direct Ant Man. Yeah. That's yep. Pretty great, huh? What if, what if Simon Pegg was Ant Man? I'd watch it. That'd be kind of. They should kind of do that. Even though he's not at all, should not be Hank Pym, he should be Hank Pym. What about Nick Frost? <laughs> it might be even a bit better. Okay. 
And I love Nick Frost. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, no. I would love to see Nick Frost in more starring capacities, because yeah. he's a really great actor. But just I, want, I, would, I love that we're going to get more new material between Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, and more from Edgar Wright, and it's just, it's, it's exciting. So, World's End, I'm excited. It comes out in August, I believe. All right. All right. You want to take one of the big ones? I, I want to, there, there are three movies that I want to save to be the last three movies, because they're the ones I, give, I care about the most, that I'm most excited okay. for. So, I'll tackle one that I should no way be tackling, because I've seen nothing from this franchise before, Fast and Furious 6. Why are you tackling that? I, that's like... <laughs> That's what I said. I prefaced it with saying I should not be tackling this in any way, shape, or form. I wanted to take I'm this just, one. Did you take the other one? I want to take this one. I love Fast and Furious. When you, we both get to talk about it, asshole. It's not like I'm just going to be, okay, Fast and Furious 6, we're done. We don't get to talk about it. But Sean, I'm the one who's excited for it, damn it. I don't care. <laughs> I don't give a shit what you're excited about. I picked Fast and Furious 6 now. The only thing I care about with the Fast and Furious... Like, I'll probably eventually watch Fast 5 sometime, because... I know you really like it. Isn't that the only one you've seen? Yeah, and yeah. it's fucking great. Yeah, so I'll probably watch that sometime. It's got The Rock in it. I really like The Rock. But my favorite thing about the Fast and Furious movies are the titles. Because <laughs> Recap. Let's see. Let's the see. Fast and the Furious. The Fast and the Furious. Too Fast, Too Furious. The Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift. We still got the thes in there. Make sure yeah, you, yeah. you know, it's still The Fast and the Furious. Then it's just Fast and Furious. Yes, this was, yeah. And then it was Fast Five, and now it's Fast and Furious Six. Basically, this movie had no title through all of production and everything, yeah. and people were referring to it as Fast Six, Fast and Furious Six, just these temporary titles. And then the trailer comes out, and one of the temporary titles turns out to be the title. Yeah. And it's interesting to me, because this almost feels like we're in an era now, titles matter so little, yeah. they really haven't given this movie a title. Yeah, because like so much of the way you consume news like doesn't necessarily have to revolve around that. Like It's not like this, you just see the poster kind of thing like it used to be, because yeah. we have the internet. Yeah, but now, just like call it's it like, Fast and Furious 6. It's like, this is the first movie of the post-title era. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I just love this, like... You know, you have Fast Five and then Fast and Furious Six. And it's like, the only movie that anybody really gives a shit about that I know about is Fast Five. Like, that's the only one I've ever heard about. It's like, you probably should watch this movie. It's Fast Five. It's just like, I like how they didn't bank on, like, that just the Fast Five. They then just called it Fast Six. They're like, no, Fast and Furious Six. Yeah. It's the sixth sequel to Fast and Furious. Yeah. But not the Fast and the Furious. It's the sixth sequel to the fourth movie, apparently. Except it's not. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, yeah. I if, if I were ranking this list, this was like in my top three. Because I love Fast Five so much, and the trailers for Fast and Furious 6 are so fucking awesome. Yeah, it's I just, a pretty great trailer. Fast Five just got it. And I don't... It almost eludes discussion how great Fast Five is, but it's not even great in that ironic way of like it's so dumb it's fun it knows what it is and it knows what it is hardcore and attacks that and it like you know it is one of the like we've had all this shit in recent years of these action throwback movies like the expendables and bullet to the head where you know, like you get some action stars together and throw them against each other and they're fucking awful and they don't make any use out of having these interesting action stars but fast five so vin diesel had been the star of this franchise yeah the rock comes in as this this um, FBI agent on his on the hunt for the Vin Diesel character, and it gets what you do when you get two action legends together. Yeah, 
you have them like be at odds for a while. They meet during the third act, and they beat the living shit out of each other, and it's great. Like they literally, like I think literally, The Rock picks up Vin Diesel and throws him through a wall. Like that happens in Fast Five, and then they become friends. Yeah, and it's so great. It's so great. I can't even talk about Fast Five without becoming incoherent. But like everything about that movie is great. I legitimately found that like thought the characters were fun. I liked all the action scenes. The story was actually a, like a good setup for what they were going to do, and all this without ever seeing the other four movies. Yeah, it just like it worked on its own. It's basically it's Ocean's Eleven with lots and lots of car chases, and it works really well. And it's really fun, and I'm so excited to see more. It's the same director, Justin Lin, and it's it looks like like here's why I'm so excited for Fast and Furious Six. Someone literally says in the trailer for this movie, this is vehicular warfare. Yeah. <laughs> that, how can you not get excited by that? Because that is so stupid, but yeah. it knows it's stupid. And it's yeah. embracing it and having fun with it. So, Fast and Furious 6. Yes. And, and we get more of Vin Diesel and The Rock. It looks like they're, they may even be expanding the franchise. And, you know, it looks like this one will also be, I guess, opening the doors for 7. Because that's coming out in less than a year. Yeah, um, yeah, basically. So no, well, okay, not less than a year, but it's coming out like next June. So slightly more than a year, but effectively one year, which I think is kind of hilarious. But we'll see. They they haven't even confirmed whether or not they've gotten the cast back. <laughs> I think the only person who signed on has been Diesel. So we'll see. Yeah. But yeah, um, it's gonna be great. Dwayne, right, The Rock has been in like twenty movies this year. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's I been think, all over the place. I think Pain and Gain which came out this weekend, is his, like, fourth major release of the year, where he's the star. So I think that's kind of funny. But, yeah. yeah. Good on him. I should, like the rock. I should mention with Fast and Furious 6, we do not have this on the list, because I don't think you've seen the movies, but The Hangover Part 3 is coming out the exact same day as I've Fast... I've seen Hangover 1. Oh, you have? Okay. Yeah. What did you think? I thought it was pretty funny. Okay. That's it? Yeah. Yeah. I that's, thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, that's kind of my thought on Hangover 1 also. Um, but anyway, Hangover 3 is coming out that exact I mean, same... Hangover Part 3. Yeah, Hangover Part 3, because it's a saga shot. Yeah, it's, exactly. Know, it's got deep, deep story arcs, mythology. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I was really disappointed when Hangover 1 ended, and it didn't have, like, this conclusion, but I knew that Part 2, that I knew it was building up yeah. to something greater. Well, at, the end of part, the first one at the end of Part 2, we found out Ed Helms was Bradley Cooper's father. Yeah, it was fucking crazy. Just crazy. So, anyway, Hangover Part 3 is coming out the exact same day as Fast and Furious 6, 6, which I think is kind of funny because that's like, I have not, I can't think of an example of two massive blockbusters coming out in that direct of competition, and I'm surprised I one of them has not blinked yet and moved. I wish, thought for sure one of them would move, and they're not. And I think the movie that's going to get hit by that is probably Hangover 3, because yeah. people, by and large, did not like 2. Again, Hangover Part 3. Yeah, Hangover Part 3. People did not like Part 2. Yeah. I liked Part 2. I liked it better than the first one, but I'm like the only person who thought that. Um, part 2 is just Part 1, but darker and more fucked up. And I, I like dark and fucked up humor, so that's the only thing I can say about that. But anyway, Part 3 you know, is coming off Part 2, which people did not like much, and also Part 3 will draw a much... Not a much smaller audience, but it's because it's R-rated and because it does not have a particularly diverse cast, whereas the Fast and Furious series has a very diverse cast and it's coming off a movie people loved, uh, and it's PG-13, I think. Yeah. I think Hangover's going to get hit by that, but we'll see. That'll be an interesting weekend to follow. So, all right. Is it my turn to pick a movie? Yeah, because you got really pissy after I picked Fast and Furious 6. I was just joking around. Sure you were. Okay. Uh, Kick-Ass 2? 
You should pick the other one because I don't know what the other one is. Okay, I just had this on here. This is just one I'm interested in. It's called The Bling Ring. It's the new film from Sofia Coppola, who directed Lost in Translation. Um, and it's just... I, I wanted to include something on here that's more of an indie film because there's a lot of interesting smaller fare coming out this summer that most people wouldn't know about, so I just didn't throw it on this list. But this is one that I think is an interesting subject matter. I like Sofia Coppola as a filmmaker. Uh, she hasn't made anything great probably since Lost in Translation, but I, I thought her Marie Antoinette film was interesting. I thought it had some interesting ideas. And this one, this film, like the, the main, it's, it stars Emma Watson and a couple other people. But, and Emma Watson, as I think turned out to be in the last couple of Harry Potter films than the films she did after those, to be a really interesting actress. And I'm really interested to see where she goes in her career. Um, and this film has a sort of a premise that I think fits Sofia Coppola's talents really well. It's about this group of teenagers who decide they're going to rob all these celebrities' houses. And um, it's sort of de- dealing with, with fame and, and those sort of ideas of what celebrity is, which is something Sofia Coppola has dealt with in her career. Uh, but what struck me is the most recent trailer, which came out, I think, last week sometime. Basically, it looks like pain and gain with teenagers. And I think that's, that was just a connection that I made in my mind that I thought was kind of weird but actually kind of fits because they're both about sort of stupid people chasing the American dream in really dumb ways. And I'm interested in that. But, All right. Yeah. That's just one I threw on there. I wasn't even necessarily going to talk about it on the podcast. Okay. But. Well, it was on the list. Okay. So. You pick a movie. Okay. Kick-Ass 2. All right. I was a big shock that, that was on the list. Did you see Kick-Ass 1? Yeah. I really like Kick-Ass 1. I, re- I really like the part where they use the uh, theme from Fistful of Dollars. Like, literally a die. Because I watched that movie on DVD a day after I watched A Fistful of Dollars on DVD. So I was like, oh, hey, shit. There's the main theme from that movie. Where did they use it? It's uh, when Hit Girl, they go into this near the end of the movie when they go into, like, the lobby of, like, the villain's, like, big mansion or, like, tower or whatever. And, like, she's just, like, killing a bunch of people. This is the theme from Fistful of Dollars. Okay. That movie. That was fucking great. Kick-Ass 1 makes great use of music. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think when they, like, shoot... Uh, when they shoot the villain out with the jetpack out and he blows up, they're playing the uh, Elvis uh, American Trilogy song. Yeah. Um, it's like the Grapes of Wrath is what he's singing, or yeah. the, whatever song that comes from. Um, but anyway, yeah, Kick-Ass 1 is kind of great. Yeah, yeah, it's a really, really, really fun movie. Yeah. <laughs> and a really fucked up movie. Yeah, really fucked up. Yeah. The stuff with, like, that's my favorite Nicolas Cage performance. Yeah. Nicolas Cage is great in that movie. Yep. And I, just, I love when he dies and he's like... <laughs> Getting burned alive, yeah, and he's still like, still like, just brainwashing poor hit girl. I, I want to say poor hit girl. She'll have, she'll have a good life. Yeah, no, she's, she's fucking yeah. Nobody's gonna fuck with her. No, <laughs> but anyway, I I think it's I I love that that movie got a sequel because yeah, that's so yeah. weird. It doesn't call for a sequel necessarily. Yeah, I was not expecting Kickass Two to ever exist, but I'm really glad that they're making it. Cause yeah. And I think I think they've got and I I mean I think all you need to know about Kick Ass Two is that the villain is called the motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like I'm just like happy because it's like that like that concept and that like style and that tone that they developed in the first movie, I think there's like so much you can do with that that I'm glad they're going back to it. Because it's like in terms of a story, it doesn't necessarily demand a sequel, but it's like there's so much more that can be explored with that concept in film. I think we only saw the tip of the fucked up iceberg in Kick-Ass yeah, 1. exactly. Because the interesting thing about Kick-Ass, and actually I did not like Kick-Ass all that much the first time I saw it, because I think I went in with a... People kept describing it as it's like, it's like superheroes in real life. That's not the theory behind Kick-Ass. Like, Kick-Ass... I mean, dark technically it is, but it's like, it's not... It's not that. No, you know, well, it's not Watchmen. No, and, but this is like... This is what I think is really kind of genius about Kick-Ass, is that... 
it starts from that premise of like, okay, dumb teenager decides he's yeah. going to dress up and go fight crime. And then it gets more and more and more and more and more ridiculous. Until yeah, it is the point where it's like, this is nothing to do with real life. No. Like, this is like insane. And that's what I, when I, yeah. when I saw Kick-Ass with a better mindset, I think, I loved it for that reason because I thought it, it plays that so kind of gradually but yeah. awesomely of getting to that point of all-out fucking madness. And if Kick-Ass 2 is starting from that point, I will be fascinated to see where this movie goes. Yeah. It's got Jim Carrey in it. Yeah. As Colonel Stars and Stripes. It's pretty fucking awesome in the trailer. So. Yeah. I, I, I hope it does for Jim Carrey kind of what Kick-Ass did for Nicolas Cage, where it doesn't resuscitate his career, but makes me like him for a movie. Yeah. So I like Nicolas Cage okay. I mean, he's not, like, doesn't give great performances in every movie, but he's always just, kind of fun to watch. I just don't like that he hasn't done a, he hasn't picked a good movie to do in, like, ten years besides <laughs> Kick-Ass. So what? Okay. It's still fun to watch. Okay. Um, That's what I come to Nicolas Cage for. You didn't see Ghost Rider. This was, no, I didn't. Yeah. You know, you you pick your battles. I'll just okay. say that. <laughs> you don't go see Ghost Rider the movie. You don't read Ghost Rider comics, because Ghost Rider's just lame. <laughs> Alright. Ghost Rider. Anything else to say about Kick-Ass 2? Nope. It's probably going to kick ass, though. <laughs> Fucking hell, Sean. Yep. That was a joke. Alright, Spe- speaking of bad jokes. Okay, so yeah, good, you're speaking of bad jokes, now it's your turn. Yeah, fuck you, by the way, but speaking of bad jokes, Star Trek Into Darkness. <laughs> yeah, that title must have started off as a really bad joke, and J.J. Abrams kind of liked it though, I guess, I don't know. Or J.J. Abrams, like, just like, he was in a meeting with Paramount Executives, they're like, J.J., you, you were editing the movie, but you still don't have a title, it's like, I'm sorry guys, I just, we, you know, me and my team, we haven't come up with a good title for this movie yet. And then he, like, makes a joke, and then yeah. the executives like it, and he's fucked. Yep. I think that's what it was. Star Trek Into Darkness. All right, we've made enough fun of the title, I think, on this podcast, and it will come back, but why are we excited for Star Trek Into Darkness, Sean? Because Star Trek 2009 was a really fun movie, and Benedict Cumberbatch looks fucking amazing in the trailers, so... Yeah. 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 I love J.J. Abrams' Star Trek movie. I think it's fucking great. I think it was exactly what the franchise needed at that point in time. I like that it you know, made... Okay, I hate... It did not make Star Trek popular because it just made that movie popular. Yeah. But it made people willing to talk about Star Trek in an yeah. interesting way. And, and, like, watch that movie and engage with the characters. And it did it did well by the legacy of Star Trek, especially with the Leonard Nimoy um, yeah. appearance. And I think it did... I mean, that's, that's one of the things I love most about that movie is that they got to give Leonard Nimoy the send-off that I think most of the characters from the original series deserve but never got. Yeah. Like, you know... Kirk dying on a bridge. Yeah. Jeez. Not the bridge. A bridge. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. A bridge into darkness. Yeah, fucking hell. Anyway. But yeah, I think... So I really love that. It's, it's you know, it's been a long time since that one came out, it feels like. We're, yeah, it was 2009. Yeah. So it's four years, and, and it that's pretty that's a pretty long gap for a sequel to a movie that did very well. Yeah. But I, I think... You know, the ads have not gotten me hugely excited for Star Trek Into Darkness, but it definitely feels to me like something that's just... It's an issue of advertising more than anything else because I think some of the narrative directions we're, we're hearing sound interesting to me. Yeah. Especially with Benedict Cumberbatch. I mean, this looks like a movie that will be driven by the quality of the villain and Benedict Cumberbatch, as you said, fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, even though I think it's a little odd how heavy the marketing is is focusing on him when he is not a hugely recognizable actor for most of the world. It's because he's so fucking awesome. It doesn't yeah. even matter. I agree. see that and it's yeah. like, oh, fuck, that guy's fucking terrifying. Jesus. Yeah. So, I'm psyched. I think I want to see more of the lens flares. 
I want to see the the cast again. I mean, that's the main thing. For I want them to bring back the red matter from the first movie because that was dumb. <laughs> do you want to do your red matter rant? It's not just a red matter. It's more a Star Trek rant of people thinking that Star Trek is really hard sci-fi when it's not. It's occasionally been. Like, so there will occasionally be an episode or two that kind of are, but for, for the large part, Red Matter is kind of par for the course with Star Trek, and Red Matter's really dumb. There's no such thing as Red Matter, and there will be such a thing as Red Matter. It's just dumb. Yeah. What is what is Red Matter even supposed to mean? Like I don't know. It's, I, it's, I think J.J. Abrams heard the term Dark Matter, and then he was like, well, if there's Dark Matter, there has to be Red Matter, right? Well, maybe we'll get Blue Matter in this movie, yeah. and then like Green Matter in the next one would be great. Yep. Once you get yellow matter and it creates Pikachu, and then we have a crossover between Star Trek and Pokemon. What the fuck? <laughs> where did that? Where did that leap come from? What the <laughs> fuck? Seriously, where did where did Pikachu just pop out of nowhere in that? Yellow matter. Okay. No, it's right. yellow matter, and Homer Simpson comes out, and you finally get the Simpsons Star Trek two thousand nine universe crossover that we've all been waiting for. In fact, Simpsons has always been in that universe. It's just all taking place on the holodeck and you didn't even know. That'd be terrible. But that'd be awesome. I would I would love if they retconned the entirety of the Simpsons as having taken place on the holodeck in the new Star Trek universe that J.J. Abrams created. I think that'd be fucking amazing. They wouldn't have the holodeck yet. That's like 50 years from invention. It's fucking... They blew up Vulcan. They can do what they want. It's bullshit anyways. They made it with Red Matter. Okay. Good. Anyway, main, main reason I'm excited for Star Trek Into Darkness is because they did such a great job making new versions of these classic characters in Star yeah. Trek 09, and I really want to see new versions of them, or, or more with those versions. Yeah. As, as we said last week, I think, when we talked about the trailer for the movie, the, the new one, yeah. I really like that they're sort of exploring, like, if you took a young Captain Kirk and gave him this command, not a great idea, yeah. practically, and maybe this is why, and exploring that, I think that's really interesting, because that's a, that, I like that as a prequel... What that what Star Trek 09 did as a prequel that most prequels don't do well is using our knowledge of these characters as a contrast with what who they were who they yeah. might be in a different scenario, and you know Kirk obviously is a great commander who knows what he's doing ninety nine percent of the time, and he's always in command. And obviously a young version of him would not be that yeah. talented. And I like that idea. And I'm really I think we haven't seen a lot from this movie yet in terms of what the story's gonna be, what's gonna happen in it, and what the other characters are gonna do. So I'm really interested and I I really wanna see this movie. Yeah, me too. I'm pretty excited. Uh it's it's one of those though that they're not publicizing it, but it's in converted three D. Mm-hmm. And I'm not looking forward to that. Because here's one thing that's kinda sad about it, is that they shot scenes in IMAX, like Christopher Nolan did for his Dark Knight movies. But you're never going to be able to yeah. see it like that because they're showing it in IMAX 3D. So what the fuck was the point? Star Trek in Three Darkness. No, an unexpected Star Trek. That has to be the next movie. No, I like... No, this one would be titled Star Trek oh. in Three Darkness. Okay, I got gotcha. you. what I'm saying. I got gotcha. you. All right. You want to pick a movie? Uh, sure. I think we got will. two left. I'll pick Iron Man 3 because that's coming out in a week. Yes. So... How excited are you for Iron Man 3? I am really fucking excited because it's coming out in a fucking week. Yeah. So, fucking Iron Man 3, dude. Like, the, those trailers have been fucking amazing. Yes. To the point where I don't watch them anymore because there are way too many. But yeah. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah, I. The only thing that has dampened any of my enthusiasm for Iron Man three is that there have been too many trailers, and the fact that it came out a week and a half earlier in the rest of the world, meaning that I've had to avoid a lot of the places I usually read because critics who have already seen it just decided to spoil it up the ass, and I got one kind of big thing spoiled for me that I fucking hate. But it was the post credits thing. It was not like okay. the plot of the actual movie, but I like not going in knowing those things. So anyway, I have had to stay off large portions of the internet this week. But yes, I think. It's, this is just one of those movies where every creative decision we've seen so far looks perfect for what yeah, we're doing with Iron yeah. Man 3. And I love that. I think it's great for Phase 2 to go back to the origins of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, just get back, you know, another solo Iron Man movie. And I love that the trailers are indicating, you know, obviously Avengers happened and it is, means something to Tony yeah, Stark. Yeah, it's continuing the, you know, it's, yeah, it's not pretending that, like, those, the other movies don't exist in the same universe. It's like, it's yeah, it's very much, hey, this is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We are keeping continuity... This isn't no X-Men bullshit. Yeah. Here we go. And I just, you know, th- you know, it, it's a, there's a possibility this could be Robert Downey Jr.'s last time in the role. He's been talking about that. I don't think it's a huge possibility. Yeah, I they think pay... I'm sure he'll probably at least be back for Avengers 2. Like, yeah. I'd be really surprised if he wasn't. But I think there's a very real possibility this could be our last standalone Iron Man. Yeah, I would not be surprised if that was the case. That... And, and I'm really ex- I, I think this has been such a big part of my kind of... Of the last five years, I think, of my cinematic life is Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man, and I'm really excited to see more of that and maybe a, a sort of conclusion to his personal arc. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like it's, it's interesting. It's good. It's interesting because it's now, you know, like this this like sort of Marvel cinematic experiment is so fascinating. Along like every because like you know at first it was like everything's building up to the Avengers and like talking about that before it came out. It was like how. Like, how is this movie going to work? Like, how are they possibly going to be able to make the Avengers and make it work? And then they fucking did it and... Made the best superhero movie ever. Yeah, it was fucking... Maybe. But they fucking nailed it. It was incredible. It made shit tons of money. And then now you realize past that that, like, you know, we're keeping the train rolling. You're not going to stop after the Avengers. Like, that is really just the first step to, like, a much larger thing. And so now it's just, like, this really interesting process of, like, now we have to sort of make sequels to the movies we're already making, but also have to consider maybe capping those off for a little while to, like, to not, you know, like, I don't think they're going to be able to make Iron Man movie after Iron Man movie after Iron Man movie after Iron Man movie. Like, even if Robert Downey Jr., like, might not come back to the role, they're probably going to eventually, like they've said, do a James James Bond Bond thing, like, cast someone else as Tony Stark, but, like, they're going to do that. I'm sure they would take a break on it. And so then you have to see, like, is this universe going to be able to stand on the legs of the other franchises? Because eventually that's going to happen with Captain America and Thor. And so it's like you will be adapting more obscure Marvel properties. Like, this whole Marvel experiment, fascinating on every single level. And it's so cool to be able to, like, the movie, like, the singular movies are really, really great. And I'm super excited for Iron Man 3 because, like, Iron Man 1, I like, outside of, like, I don't want to compare it to Avengers and, like, think about that. But as far as, like, the standalone movies, Iron Man 1's the best one so far, as far as I'm concerned. So... I put it on par for me with Captain America, but Captain America is one of those things where it feels like it was made for yeah, me. Yeah, you have a weird thing with Captain America, so we'll ignore that. But Iron Man 1... You love Captain America, Yeah, too. but I don't think it's as good as Iron Man 1. Okay. But, yeah, like, so getting to see Iron Man 3 and getting to, like, have it great as a singular movie is awesome, And but then it's like you also get this cool, like, meta, like, getting to see how this works in this larger, crazy fucking thing that Marvel's doing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a great way to start off the summer, because I think... We have not had any ranking here, but if we were ranking, I think this would probably be number two for both of us on this yeah, list. Yeah, And we'll we'll talk about number one in a minute here. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, Iron Man 3, I just, yeah, as you said, Iron Man 1 is great. And 
I think both of us are much more positive on Iron Man 2 on the whole than a lot of people. Yeah, like, I definitely think Iron Man 2 is a weaker movie, and it has some problems, but, like, I don't think it's ever a bad movie in any no. stretch of the imagination. And I really, I really like a lot of the things they do in Iron Man 2. I yeah. think it is a really interesting step forward for the Tony Stark character. I think it brings... And I, I think one of the things that about Iron Man 2 is that the Avengers made me like Iron Man 2 more because Joss Whedon needed that character development to yeah. make Tony Stark work yeah. in Avengers. You had to have a movie where he was going through what he went through in Iron Man 2 to get him to the point where he would be humbled enough to join the Avengers. Yeah. And I think that was really interesting. And I really do, I just love the idea of getting, as you said, back out of the crossover and seeing where these people are on their own and how the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to go going forward. And I, I think one of the biggest things I'm excited for here is the presence of Shane Black as writer and director. Um, this didn't just interest me. I mean, just Shane Black is a screenwriter who goes back in Hollywood a long way. He, I think his big debut was he wrote the first Lethal Weapon. Um, but he's been a sort of steady screenwriter guy. In 2005, he made Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And as I said at the beginning of this podcast, that is an absolutely fantastic movie. And it's so so funny, but also so warm in how it understands and treats its characters. And I think it's exactly what I... what. Iron Man needs, I think he's going to be just the right pick for this, especially because he is the guy who saw something in Robert Downey Jr. that other people weren't seeing and wanted to make him a lead again after all his drug problems and arrests. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we didn't, if we didn't, hadn't had Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, we would not have the Iron Man movies as we have them. And if Robert Downey Jr. weren't doing these, there would be no Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, that's true. That would have failed out of the gate. And, you know, uh, so I, I think that reunion for uh, Shane Black and Robert Downey Jr. is an exciting one. And I am so excited to see how that plays out. And I also think, just from the trailers, the big problem with Iron Man 1 and 2 is that the action was kind of awful in parts. Yeah, yeah, and the villains were really lackluster. And it looks like they fixed that this time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't say just from a trailer, but I, I think the fact that they have shown us almost nothing of Ben Kingsley as the Mandarin indicates he's going to be a good villain. Yeah. Because I think that just shows a confidence there. And I think the action scenes we've been seeing in those trailers are kind of incredible. Yeah, yeah. And I hope it's fully fleshed out scenes there just as good. Yep, so. so. Um, and I'm also excited to get back to the characters from the Iron Man universe that obviously weren't in Avengers. Yeah. I mean, Pepper Potts was in it for a scene. Mm-hmm. But I want to see more of Gwyneth Paltrow, Don Cheadle, some of those characters. Yeah. So, looks pretty damn great. Yep. And we will, we will know all about it soon, and that will be the topic of next week's podcast, yeah. obviously. So, yay Iron Man. Yeah, Iron Man. All right, so last movie. Yep, I wonder what this one's going to be. What movie have we not talked about yet? I don't know. What is it? Yeah, there's, there isn't one. Let's move I on. Guess, oh, okay. Doctor Who. Uh, okay, no. Elephant in the Room. Man of fucking steel. Yep. We kind of did our big segment on this last week because of the new trailer. It looks great. Yeah, it does. I, I, this, this is the one you know I'm most excited to see, to like see how it turns out. I like want a really good Superman movie like more than I want a really good movie of basically anything else. So, Because the thing is, with a lot of those great characters, we have a great movie of them already. Yeah. And, I think and we do have a really good Superman movie, but it's like not necessarily the Superman movie I want. No. I mean, it's, yeah, the Richard Donner Superman, and I think when Superman comes out, when Man of Steel comes out, we'll, we'll do a look back at some yeah. of these movies, and I'm excited to do that, but, you know, the Richard Donner Superman is really damn good. It's just, you, I, Superman, as a character, because technology has come so far since 1978, yeah. and, and technology was not there at the time to do everything you can do with Superman, I think he got the fundamentals of the character in many ways. Yeah, but he couldn't, like, show Superman doing Superman stuff. Yeah. Like, just, like, you know, they, they could have him fly and 
But like, well, I'm sure that was really impressive at the time. Ow, this looks kind of cheesy, the whole like flying part. But Yeah. And I just think it's, it's more than, it's not just that we want Superman fight sequences. I think there's so many other ways the world has evolved that the yeah. context we put Superman is needs to change. And I think more than anything else, that's what the trailers so far for Man of Steel are getting me excited for, is I think this looks like it will be a really interesting character study first, and then a fairly kick-ass action epic second. Yep. So. I'm just waiting. I hope in Man of Steel there's like a moment where Clark Kent shaves his beard. That is just awesome. Like, I hope that's like his big, like, I'm going to be Superman moment, is he shaves his beard. Because, you know, you see that in the trailers, it's like there's a lot of shit where it's like he hasn't, he's not Superman yet, he's got this big beard, but then when he's Superman, he doesn't have the beard on. Well, so you know that shot where he... gotta be that. You know that shot where he walks out of the Fortress of Solitude and he looks up in the sun and closes his eyes? I hope yeah. that's right after he shaves. Yeah. And it's like, man, ah, oh, it feels really nice. Yeah. <laughs> so I like being able to feel the wind on my cheeks. Yep. That'll be his Jack Bauer at the start of 24 season 6 moment. Exactly. Jack Bauer at the start of 24 season 6 is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Jack <laughs> Bauer is just ridiculous. Okay, that's true. Um, Jack Bauer meets Superman. Just kidding. Anyway, Man of Steel, yeah. I We did our, we did our piece on this last week, yeah. but easily the most anticipated film of the summer. Yeah, for me. Yeah, yep. definitely. It feels like sort of Sort of the last major, significant, iconic superhero we have yet to get perfect. Yeah. And, yeah. and do a great, iconic rendition of. And I'm very excited for this. So, Man yeah. of Steel. All right. So those are the movies of summer we are looking forward to. We will be talking about many of them in depth on this podcast. But for now, let's talk Doctor Who, Sean. Okay. Let's move into the, the real topic. Like, all this other stuff has just been bullshit. That's what it is every week. Yeah, exactly. And when Doctor Who's not on, I don't even know why we do this podcast. <laughs> Alright, so this week's episode of Doctor Who is Journey to the Center of the TARDIS by... Journey to the Centra of the TARDIS? Yes. It, you know, spelled with an E-R-E at the end. Yeah. The British are weird that way. Fucking Brits. Alright, so Sean, Journey to the Center of the TARDIS, written by Stephen Thompson. What did you think of Journey to the Center of the TARDIS? Yeah. Not a fan? No. No. Like, we, we had it in the... We were talking about this before we started recording the podcast, but I thought the like there were there were some good moments here and there. I you know I really liked Matt Smith and Jenna Louise Coleman. Like I always liked them in all the episodes, but particularly the like plot, like what actually happens, makes no fucking sense. And then like yeah, that's probably my biggest complaint. And then my other biggest complaint is there's this, that whole B plot with the brothers, one of them being a cyborg, but he's not a cyborg. That whole thing is really overbearing and dumb and out of place and doesn't need to be there. And it's like, in that plot, and that honestly feels like if this, like, that would be a B plot for, like, you know, like with 24, where it's like 24 would have these, like, just super dumb B plots for, like, that would spend a couple of episodes just to fill in some time, which makes sense if you have, like, this season that's, like, this full season of episodes that's like, okay, you're going to have some filler space for a single standalone episode. You don't need a dumb B-plot that has nothing to do with the main plot at all to fill out your time. Like, you could have used that to explore the TARDIS more thoroughly and, like, expand on the concept of the episode rather than we have these characters, blah, don't know what to do with them, but they're there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I agree with a lot of what you said, but I liked this episode, and yeah. I... I don't know how... I don't... I did, like, that's, that seems to be all the, like, the tone on the internet is a lot of people's just, like... 
I like this episode, but it's like, but it didn't make sense. But I'm not dismissing the flaws. Yeah, I, I know you're not dismissing the yeah. flaws, but it seems like, you know, that's just the thing is like, I think we both have the same, like, opinions on, like, the things in the episode, but, like, for me, the bad stuff way overweighed the good stuff, and I think for you, the good stuff overweighed the bad stuff. I, I would say that on the whole, yes, and I, I will say I had kind of a weird experience with the episode where I started watching it, and I did not, I just flat out disliked the first 15 minutes or so. When, so did I, and yeah. I proceeded to dislike basically all the successive minutes. Okay, let me explain. I'll just say, like, like I thought, uh, especially the stuff, getting into the premise of the episode was super clunky, and all the stuff on the salvage yard and the three brothers just didn't need it, and I... I also thought, this is something we had not, we did not talk about in our separate discussion, I thought the tone of the first 15 minutes or so was excessively dark for Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. Where those, those brothers felt like mercenaries who were at any point, like, they could, like, stab the Doctor in the back or something. Like, yeah. the way they were being portrayed and everything, it was just, there was something, and the way it was shot in those, because I think the shooting actually kind of changes after a certain point where it's not just a lot of moving camera and dark shadows and things. It gets yeah. a little brighter as we see different parts of the TARDIS, but for those first 15 minutes... Um, it's excessively dark, everyone's separated, and it just doesn't feel like anything's coalescing. But I think around the time we start seeing, maybe around the time Clara maybe gets to the library or something, I, I don't know exactly what the delineation point for me would be because it was more of a gradual thing, mm-hmm. but I liked the last half significantly more than the first half, and I think the overall heft of the journey they were making through the TARDIS I found interesting. I thought a lot of the stuff they were doing where it was not that the TARDIS... Being big was the problem. It was the TARDIS being alive and changing things that was sort of the challenge for them. I found that I thought that was a very well executed idea, uh, for the most part. And I, I just, I, I kind of felt like there were a lot of really good emotional moments in it, and a lot of big things happened that I was happy to see happen. Uh, and I felt like by the end, when we got to the the center of the TARDIS, I felt like we'd gone on a journey that I had enjoyed and been invested in. And then they hit a reset button. Yes, and that is the biggest. What the fuck with this episode is that. Quite literally, they hit a reset button. The Doctor presses a button, and the episode never happened. Except for some, like, dumb little, oh, but these characters had their character development, but that, no, that's... But they didn't. Even then, it's just a slight, like, what the episode is implying, at most, is that a slight thing that the, the... the brother is going to be kind of less of a dick to his other brother, but he's already made that brother a fucking cyborg. Yeah. So there's nothing he can be. He's not going to just come clean. Yeah, that is true, because the episode did not end with him being like, hey, sorry I made you think you were a cyborg for, like, however long it's been since that accident, but no, you're actually human and you're my little brother. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't do that, so. I mean, it's just, sorry, my phone just went off, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, you should put that on vibrate. I did, and we do not edit this podcast because, you know, we want to be honest with our listeners. Yeah. Sure, that's why. <laughs> Alright. But no, the ending, yes. They hit a reset button, and I think it's frustrating not only because... It's not only because the stuff with the brothers is stupid and it makes it even stupider when you hit the reset button. Yeah. But that they there really was interesting arc progression with the Doctor and Yeah, Clark. I mean, it was the only, like, the only time we've actually kind of addressed the Clara has died twice before, and this whole thing with the Doctor's name, like, that has never really come up in any explicit fashion at all, and so, like, having it, like, be discussed between the Doctor and Clara, that was really refreshing, and I liked that moment, but then that moment's completely ruined, because that moment doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, none of this episode happened. It's like, it's, you know, it's like, everything was a dream, but it's not, it's even worse than that, because everything did happen, and then we just decided, no, reset, like, 
fuck it, fuck it all, you might it, as well not have watched this episode in the first place. It really felt from an arc standpoint that they were trying to have their cake and eat it too. We're yeah. like, all right, we're, we're five episodes into the season, blah, 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 rant on, the season is weird. Um, we're five episodes in, and we're getting close to the finale, and we need to start bringing these story arcs back in. But we can't have them progress too fast because we're not really going to address them until the finale. Yeah. So we'll address them, but then you have to hit the literal reset button. Yeah, it's like... I'm trying to think of a good example. Of, I don't know why this popped in my head. It's like uh, there's an episode of Angel. And this is actually a really good episode. This shows like this concept being done well. There's an episode of Angel where Angel gets like this thing that allows him to be human for a day. Or, like, he could be human for the rest of his life. He spends, like, that with Buffy, and they have, like, you know, if their relationship, if he could be human and their relationship could be perfect and, like, actually work, this is what it would be like, but then it can't be like that and you reset it because, like, you know, the show would be over if you, like, just let it be like that. And this is a really good episode. It kind of feels like that. They're, like, trying to have this, like, this what if in this, like, this, like, this is actually what you want to see, right? Like, you, this is, like, what, like, you think you want to see is, like, let's have these characters actually talk to each other, address these problems, but we can't actually accommodate them for that in the overarching plot, so... Yeah. Reset button. And I mean, yeah, and I, I think, you know, we will talk about this this yeah. part in, in depth later on with the, the name of the Doctor stuff that happens here. Yeah. But even then, we have been complaining, for instance, about that, you know, the Doctor Who puns, it's not just that they're bad puns, it's that there's a story arc there that is not being furthered when they do that. Yeah. In this episode, something actually happened with yeah. that. Clara learns the name, and then she and the Doctor have a meaningful conversation about that that is a pretty good scene. Yeah. But that doesn't happen. Yeah. And that's frustrating. And then you also have the stuff with Clara, literally, you know, where the, I think there's actually a kind of a dynamite scene where do- the Doctor is on the cliffside and he grabs Clara and says, every day I look at you and I have yeah, no idea what really you are. Good, yeah, that's the best part of the whole episode. Yeah, it's a great scene. And at, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because you know what? They're going to have to do that scene exactly. again. Yeah, because none of those characters remember that. So, well, shit. It's it's the snowman all over again, where it's like we had that we did we put all this effort in developing this specific version of Clara, and then we kill her at the end, and then now come the next episode, we have to reestablish this new Clara character. Only it's even worse because this is super dumb. Yeah, I mean, oh my god, that fucking button! It's how do you like this episode? That ending is so bad. It's so bad. It's I, one of the worst endings to an episode of Doctor Who I have ever seen. And I have seen a lot of fucking episodes of Doctor Who. You've seen every single one. Yes. Bro. You can just I'm, say that. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Okay. That ending is so awful. It's one of the worst endings to anything I've ever seen because it is just literally nothing in the episode happened. And, like, it's just... And then also, like, the way it happens doesn't even make sense. Why did pushing that button do a goddamn thing? I have no idea. I don't even know what the button was. Like, it's just... Like, they literally seems like they were shooting it, didn't write an ending, and wrote the ending five minutes before they shot the goddamn thing. Uh, you guys can't see this. Sean looks like he's about to cry. It's so frustrating, because it, it's... Because how do you not hate this episode? I don't understand. How does everyone not hate this episode? It's driving me insane. Because the ending's so bad. It's so fucking bad. Because t- I don't think that strongly about the ending for one. It's so bad. Like, it doesn't matter that there's other good stuff. The ending's so bad. I Okay, I... Come on. Come on. You I, don't hate, I don't hate this episode, though. And I think we have to... You, you asked me how do I like it. I think we have to dissect the word like there for a second. Okay. Me, okay. What I mean by that. I enjoyed watching this episode, and I had fun with it. The more I think about it and talk about it, yes, the more it falls apart for me. But, you know, and I think... I kind of wish I had had time to watch it a second time to see if it would work at all for me a second time through knowing what happens. 
And I don't know if it will. Probably not as much. Yeah. I certainly won't enjoy it as much because I will be watching these scenes and thinking, well, that doesn't work as, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I, I will say, as bad as that ending is on paper so and stuff, I bad. thought it was played as well as it could be for how bad that ending is. And so it did not, in the moment, sure, it didn't make me... but that's, I don't know, I guess the... Because that also comes, like, because it, like, starts earlier with... I think where I was really calling bullshit was when the uh, two brothers touch each other and then turn into the monsters. Just out, that makes no sense. It just comes out of nowhere and just like, what the fuck? Why? Like, you know, the doctor just says you can't touch each other. You can't touch each other. And they touch each other and they turn into the monsters. It's like that doesn't. You just didn't know what to do with these characters, so you just like. Pfft. It's like that where it's that's where it started, and then like five minutes later. The button, and it's just like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, did nobody have any idea what this episode was going to be when they were writing it? Like, it seems like they had the idea of Journey to the Center of the TARDIS, and then they had no idea what to do with the plot. And actually, I think that's what a lot, my biggest problems with it do stem from that, is that it does feel like, to me, a t- an episode that came title first. Yeah. And actually, they've, they've admitted that in interviews. It came title first. That was their idea. And I think they have a lot of trouble getting into the premise, and they have trouble getting out of the premise, obviously. Yeah. Um... More trouble getting out, I would say. But, you know, and I, I think as long as we're on the ending, this is probably where we should start, you know, get, get, probably tackle this now yeah. and go backwards. But, yeah, the ending makes no sense. So I, I watched this episode soon, like later than you did, so I, yeah. I literally kind of just watched this, so yeah. it's fresh in my mind. So, Sean, fire away. Questions. What can I explain for you? What the fuck is the button? What is it? I have where no idea. Where from? I have no idea. Why does pressing it cause anything to happen? Okay, I will give you my best. This is not an explanation. I will just tell you what I observed with the button in the episode, okay. and we'll see if we can get anything out of it. All right. The button is first seen in the first scene of the episode where the yeah. salvage men, they get it out, and they're like, all right. They, they, they say, okay, we're going to salvage this, and I think they hand it to one of the brothers and says, throw this in there. And they kind of throw it into the chute. We don't see where it goes, really, because we don't see how the salvage system even works. Yeah. But then some stuff happens to the Doctor and the TARDIS. In fact, this whole scene for the credits is kind of, production-wise, a mess, because it's just a lot of noise and camera yeah. movements, and it doesn't quite make sense. So, like, did you have a really hard time hearing the dialogue in that scene? Because, like, like the first, like, that scene where they're in the TARDIS and he's trying to teach Clara how to drive, I could not figure out the dialogue at all. Like, no, I thought it was like fine. But maybe it's because I had a higher-quality version I was watching. I don't yeah. know. And I also was, like, were you watching it with, like, headphones on or something? No. Okay, because I just, like, that dialogue just, like, it was just sort of, like, da-da-da-da-da-da, like, yeah. there was noise everywhere. I won't say it was particularly, like, easy to follow, but, yeah, I, I heard it. And okay. that might be just be a conditions of how we're watching it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, so in that first scene, that thing comes in, and at first I thought it was a space grenade meant to kill everyone in the thing. Yeah, it looks like a grenade. Right. And so Clara picks it up, it burns the shit out of her hand, and then... Somehow. Okay, quick digression. Then the director made kind of a weird choice to keep having Jenna Louise Coleman blow on her hand slightly in a way that didn't... Like, that's not how I cool my hand off if it gets burned. I don't go, like... And then, like, look up sensually. Like, that was kind of, like, what they kept directing her to do. Yeah. And it was kind of odd. But anyway. um, So she burns her hand on it, drops it, and then we don't see it again until the end of the episode. I think. Right? As far as I recall, we don't see it again until... Okay, so end of the episode. Doctors... It's kind of funny, because this comes in the middle of, I think, a very good scene where he's he's so sad he's let the TARDIS down, and then he sees uh, Clara's hand, and that's where the episode just stops making sense wholesale. Because he sees her hand, and it's something about the button, and it's the line from earlier where she says, yeah. like, don't you have a big, like, fancy button or something? I don't yeah. know. 
Like, does it say... I don't have my glasses on. Uh, I can't really read that. Okay, I don't know why I'm just going through it. I can't see what that says. But anyway... Um, yeah, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's, it's a big just, something yeah, yeah. And so that gives him this, like, reminder or something. It's like a Sherlock brain blast without any explanation. Yeah. So then he, like... They run out, and somehow they get immediately back to the console room. I like that. Oh, yeah. I, I guess that. the TARDIS could have rearranged, but I feel like when they're in the engine, that shouldn't happen. Yeah. Anyway, they're right back in the console room, and he says, all right, we have to go back to the beginning. And I think... I think he finds the button, and then he's like, yeah. all right, we've got to put this in the time rift. And so he puts it in the time rift. It's like, and it, I like, it's he like, it's on like it. one of the cracks in time yeah. from like season five. I mean, it really, this is another thing about the reset button that's annoying. This episode really felt like it was starting to put the pieces together for the TARDIS explosion that still needs to happen because yeah. it ripples back in time to season five. Um this actually would have been a perfectly good way to do it if they wanted to, yeah. but whatever. Just, just, just to be like, we don't want to deal with like that overhanging plot thread, so we're just going to get rid of it? Yeah. yeah. I think that would have been totally fine. Anyway, but... So what, anyway, what happens is he puts it back in there, and then... He, then it, he and like, goes like, through the crack in time to the beginning of the episode, but it's not really the beginning of the episode, because there's no way this happened with like what you saw, where it's like, he goes through and then talks to himself... And it's like, and this is part of what it's like. It just was so not Doctor Who time travel stuff, where he was like, "I'm from your future." You have to. It's something like, like from something like Back to the Future or something. It's like, 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 what, what is going on? It's like, here's the sports almanac. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. This is not Doctor Who time travel. It's like, here you go. Press this button, and it's like, he then it's like all the stuff where it's like he doesn't, he can't quite get to it. He's like, Clara, Clara, no, and it's like, oh, and then he presses the button. And it's like, okay, but here's the bigger problem yeah. in all this. That doctor exploded. So that doctor, doctor, exploded. doctor from the episode you watched disintegrated when he was in that crack of time, or at least that's what it looked like. Because you can't just walk through the time, yeah, or whatever that fuck that was. Anyway, so here's the bigger problem, though. Yeah. So as it's presented, is that that button exists in sort of like this timey wimey, like that we say on Doctor Who, where yeah. something like chicken and the egg situation, where like where did it originally come from? Well, where it originally came from was the guys throwing it onto the fucking TARDIS, yeah. But now that didn't happen because it was the way it's there now in the new beginning yeah. you see at the end is the Doctor passing it to the Doctor who drops it and then Clara picks it up and it burns. So it can't... What we saw can't... Yeah. The episode can't happen. It just yeah, can't. yeah. It's like this weird, like, they think they're, like, by doing this, they're, like, closing this loop or something of, like, this paradox, but it's like, that no. That they're just creating a paradox because now there would yeah. be two of those there. Yeah, because there wasn't anything inconsistent before, like all the shit went down with the TARDIS. Like, there's no... It just it doesn't make sense. Like, they, yeah. they have no... Like, Doctor Who has never had a particularly consistent understanding of time travel. Like, traditionally, it just hasn't dealt with it. That's more of a new series thing of, like, they do a lot with the time travel. But even then, like, they, they don't have this, like, I'm from your future! It's like, you have to fix the mistakes of the past to, like, save... It's like fucking future trunks coming back and, like, killing yeah. Frieza. Like, it's just like, what the fuck is... You can't, this is completely different. It's not Terminator. Like, you can't do this. Right. So anyway, he throws the button back in. It burns Clara's hand, thus creating the burn, but it's still, it's a different fucking, so that's all weird. Yeah, because that situation is very clearly, because you would have noticed if, like, there was a doctor coming out of the wall yelling at our doctor at the beginning of the episode. So that clearly did not happen at the beginning we saw. Like, Yeah, it and what, what burned her hand on that grenade, I don't know why it burned her hand the first time through, because there was nothing hot about it. What's hot, yeah. I assume, is that it was coming through the time portal. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that happens, and in all of this discussion we're having, none of that explains why hitting the reset button resets yeah, everything. Yeah, there's nothing... Just we don't know what it is. Yeah, I have no idea what it is. 
no idea why hitting a button would do anything. It's just... It is the laziest ending I have ever seen. Like, it felt so cobbled together and just, like, thought up on the spot. Like, it's just like, we have no idea how to end this episode. So, button. But like, it's thing. just... That's, it's, I wonder so, if it's even I wonder if it's even worse than saying it's on the spot though because it feels like thought was actually put into it that makes no sense because if you thought it up on the spot I feel like it would be simpler than that yeah maybe I don't know <laughs> well there's not much like the problem comes from it being so simple okay. and like everything else around it being so complex because it's it's really simple because all it is is I have this thing I push the button but it's like it's just like that's about as fucking simple as you can get but there's all this other shit around it that's like crazy, like, echoes in time, and there's, like, being, like, multiple instances of the TARDIS and, like, all this bullshit, and it's, like, for this, like, just thing that has never, that never been explained to just pop up and have a button on it and you press, it's, like, it's an eject button on the episode of, we did not figure out how to end this thing, so we're getting the fuck out. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Yeah, so, so, it's a terrible fucking episode, because holy shit, that ending... Holy shit, that ending. Like, I can agree with you that there are individual good moments. Like I said, like, that conversation between the Doctor and Clara, where he's, like, kind of, like, telling her about how she has died before, and, like, going through that conversation, that's a really great scene. But, like, taking the episode as a whole, like, after I was done watching it, like, having that ending just being so out of nowhere and so bullshit, combined with, like, a lot of the other stuff of the episode I thought was just a mess. It was, like, particularly, like you said at the beginning is really dumb and doesn't make any sense. And the B-plot, we'll go into that further later, being really dumb. Like, the overall experience, I thought, was so bad that it's like the individual moments don't hold up that at all. Like, you know, because everything will have a few good moments, but if, like, there's no, like, coherent, like, something to the episode, it just falls apart to me. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to the beginning uh, and I think we should just talk about the brothers, but we have to go back to the beginning to yeah. talk about them. So, yeah. what, that explain why that beginning was so fucking weird. I'm even trying to remember because I got so mad at the ending. What is this the beginning? Where it's just because the thing that I'm really mad about with the Blood Brothers is mostly like the plot twist. Can okay, you, can you start well, with me, the beginning? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So. Well, we were talking about this before it uh, before we recorded the podcast, and what it is is that we have the thing where they they bring the TARDIS, and that's not the problem. Like the basic setup of a salvage thing in space, they want yeah. to get the ship. That's fine, whatever. But they bring it in, and then it's, like, on the pile of garbage, and the Doctor somehow fell out of the TARDIS like that. I, oh, that, that didn't make sense to you, too? Like, I was, like, thought for a second I passed out during the episode, because all of a sudden it was, like, the Doctor was, like, the Wicked Witch of the West, and this, like, crushed, or the, of these, like, crushed under the house. Like, it was, like, how did he, what, what is going, yeah. I, like, TARDIS, I thought I missed, like, a part where he stumbles out of the TARDIS and, like, gets crushed by it or something, I don't know. Yeah, so, yeah, nothing, that's kind of weird. Um, yeah. But anyway, so... But what happens then is that he's, like, trying to convince them to come in with him. And first off, there's the whole thing where he keeps promising them salvage and keeps changing what the salvage is, and then that never pays off. Yeah. Because they hit the reset button. Yeah. But anyway, so there's all of that. But he has, he's going to... They, they have this whole bullshit about the fuel line is broken. Oh, yeah, yeah. For one, the TARDIS has a fuel line that's on the outside of the thing and produces... I guess, yeah. Like, I guess the fucking... Does, yeah. the, does the doctor have to stop and fuel it up, like, at a gas station? Like, oh, fuck, gas is three fifty this week. We should go back in time to when it was 25 cents. I wonder since it's like, you know, that's like, like, 
in like perfect box. It's like a square. Does he forget which side the uh, the thing is on? So it's like, oh, I pulled in, but it's on the right. It's not on the left. God damn it! All right. I mean, even ignoring like fifty years of Doctor Who continuity, let's just go with the past seven revived series. We know when he needs to fuel the TARDIS, he goes to the Time Rift in Cardiff, and oh, yeah, that's the energy. That. That's the energy the TARDIS uses. So yeah, if it's leaking, that part up. I know, but let's just say revived series within yeah. itself. If it's leaking anything. That's what it would be leaking. Yeah, and all those guys would be dead if it was leaking that. Yeah. So anyway, so they're like, all right, well, we've got to suit up and go in there. And this is when, to me, I had absolutely no idea what was going on because... Okay, we know that the TARDIS is bigger on the inside. Yeah. The three salvage guys... They don't fucking know yeah, that. Yeah, it just looks like this box that would like face like fit one person standing like straight up in it. Yeah, and so they must just think like, all right, we just got to open the door and pull them out. But they still, but they talk like they do know that it's bigger on the inside because yeah. they're getting their fucking suits on. They're like, it's going to be dangerous to open. Yeah, it like up. it's this whole like minute long sort of like mini montage of them like putting all this shit like respirators and like full like like. Like harnesses that like look like Bungie they're going, cords. Yeah, yeah, like look like they're gonna like you know rope down in there. It's like like all you know is that there is somebody in that box because they thought it was like an ex- escape capsule or something. It's like that's a decent assumption for something that size. It's like all you know you need to put on like something on your arm, like break open the door, reach in, grab someone, and pull them the fuck out. Like yeah. that's 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 all it would be. But maybe like, put a gas mask on if you're super cautious. Yeah, but no, they suit the fuck up. And, and then the, they go in there, and here's another there's time jump that doesn't make sense. I assume they had to rappel down into the TARDIS because the TARDIS is big and it's on its side. Well, no, because it's like if you're going into the TARDIS, like the inside of the TARDIS would not be okay. crooked. But they, they, they have a line explaining that in the episode too, but that's just something a like mythology thing of okay. like when you go into the TARDIS, you're it's just straight up because all right, whatever. But anyway, they get in there and they. Then they say that it's the bigger on the inside. Yeah. And I, at this point, I'm like, I thought they already... Like, I had assumed they knew that somehow. Yeah. And I just assumed we were never going to find out how they knew it, but they knew what the TARDIS was. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, they have that magical Pokedex scanner, which we'll talk about later, and I thought maybe that told them or something, but whatever. So, they get in. That part's weird, and, again, the tone is just kind of oppressively dark at this point because yeah. these three guys are portrayed as kind of really dark, seedy people. Yeah. And they're not the kind of characters you usually have on Doctor Who. Yeah. So that was kind of weird. And then the doctor comes in, and then the doctor decides just to be a homicidal maniac for a second and set a fake self-destruct sequence to lock them in there and force them to help him find Clara. Yeah. When I don't know how they would be helped. Yeah, I have no idea either. Like, it's like they would be completely useless because they have no idea, you know, like, when they come inside, they're like, it's bigger on the inside. Like, all the doctor needed was to borrow, like, their respirator or whatever, I guess. It like, he could have been on his way because... You know, he knows the TARDIS a hell of a lot better than those guys. Yeah. It's not like you need three people following you around to find somebody. Yeah, I mean... It doesn't help you at all. Here's what I thought for the first 15 minutes or so, is that this episode would have been really improved and streamlined if it would have been... Let's say the Doctor was going to visit a friend. Yeah. Let's say it's Strax, just for fun. Because yeah. he's a friend we, who's been on the show recently. So it's got Strax. And they crash, and he's like, Strax, come help me find Clara. And then if you did need a second person to be there, have it be someone we know, so yeah. we have the shorthand already. And then just have them look. And then it doesn't yeah. have to be this dumb B-plot. You yeah. know? Yeah. That would have worked much better. I Yeah, I agree. Because the brothers, as a B-plot... One of I agree. They like I. They, they just didn't need to be there. They added absolutely nothing to the episode. They took a lot away. Yeah, and it was like it's almost kind of like the antithesis of 
the Hyde episode or yeah, even yeah, like yeah. Rings of Akaten where it's like, you know, how we talk about that, where it's like things are set up at the beginning and they're paid off and everything has to do with like, with like the central thing that's going on. Like there's no like random thing going off on the side. In this episode, it has a B plot in the sense that it's like, it is a different plot that has nothing to do with the objective of let's go and get Clara. It has nothing to do thematically with anything like this episode doesn't have much going on thematically at all, but it's like, it has nothing to do with anything else in the episode. It's, just space to fill time. It, that's all it is, and it just like takes away every like it just like, every time it's on screen, it just takes away from the interesting parts of the episode. Yeah, yeah. So B plot. <sighs> yeah, don't be plot. And I think the biggest thing we have to talk about here is that we find for one, the older brother just dies like a minute in. Yeah, yeah. He like goes underneath the TARDIS's console and gets killed by like that's like I think the first time we see the monsters is like yeah, like, see them full body. Yeah, it like burns him alive, and they hear that on like the radio. I think a little bit, and then like they call him. It's like hey, 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 are you okay? And it's like oh, well, I guess he's dead. And then it's like the the never mentioned again. Yeah, the like I guess middle brother who's sort of like the leader doesn't give a fuck. Like, he's just like, no, he's dead. Like, I don't care. I've got this thing on my back that is like, this is why the TARDIS is going crazy. So... That was the thing that frustrated the hell out of me is I really liked seeing that room. Yeah. But then he takes it, he just doesn't listen to the Doctor at all, even when there is clear proof that the yeah, Doctor is right. Just, it just feels like it's, again, it's something that's like, we just need this to happen. So they just make this character that is a complete fucking idiot and just like the worst human being in the universe... She's just like, ah, I'm just going to take this thing. It's like, obviously, this would be the stupidest thing you could ever do is just take this random orb from this ship that is fucking bigger on the inside than it is on the outside and, like, fuck with that? It's the dumbest fucking thing you could possibly do. And just like, no, I need, we need some urgency in this episode other than just going finding Clara. So, I'm going to take this thing. Yeah. I mean, you could say in any case that there are just too many layers to the threat here because I think yeah. it would be enough just to have Clara's lost in the TARDIS. They have to go find her. Yeah, and that like the TARDIS, the TARDIS is just damaged in some way. It would be yeah, totally yeah. fine. You yeah. don't need this whole. But then we also have monsters, and we have the brothers. Yeah. So it's like the levels of tension. Like it's they're trying to be like we'll be we'll be more tense if we add more levels to it. But, but it's less because none of the tension because eventually like none of the tension makes sense because you don't even know what you're supposed to be scared of anymore. Like you know it's like what is the big threat here? Is the TARDIS going to explode or are we going to get killed by the monsters? Like are these idiots going to do something else that's just unbelievably dumb? You have no idea like what's going on and what you should be tense about. But the thing I probably disliked most in this episode. I mean, okay, ending is bad, yeah. but I don't know. It's it's a 50-50 race for me with the stupid revelation of, of, the, brother, stupid. of the brother being a robot. But yeah, he's not, not being a robot. A robot. God, yeah. I don't even know how to say it. The youngest it. brother, because it's like the group of three brothers, the youngest brother is supposedly a cyborg at the beginning of the episode because he has cybernetic eyes and he has like a funny thing on his voice that makes They specifically voice... use the word android. Yeah, yeah. It's like the... Yeah, oh yeah, I think because if you use Android, that's because an Android is just a robot. Yeah, cyborg say, is a cybernetic yeah, organism. They never say cyborg. They say he's yeah. a robot or so an Android. I was filling that in for myself to yeah. like make it more sense, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but there. then he has real skin for some reason. Yeah. It's like the Terminator. Yeah. But it's, anyway. Yeah, but he has like a weird thing that makes his voice hard to understand like every other line. It's like because it like modulates his voice. It's like, that's it. Like, that's the only thing, like, the eyes and that thing are the only thing that's make, supposed to make you think he's an android. They just he insist he's an android. And when I was watching that, I was like... Why does he need to be an android? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I, like, and in the back of my head, 
I had that idea, like, really early on in the episode of, like, it would be really dumb if this guy was just a human. Because I thought he was just a human, and then they, like, keep on saying he's an android. It's like, he doesn't seem like an android at all. Like, nothing, none of his behavior, none of the acting. Like, I thought, like, maybe it was just, like, a weird, like, the actor just wasn't doing a good job. Because he wasn't being robotic in any way, shape, or form. He had this, like, mantra yeah. of, like, no pain, no fear, no, like, something else. And, like, because he's an android, so he doesn't feel anything. It's like all that stuff. I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. It'd be really dumb if this guy just was human and nobody figured it out or something. And then, like, come like halfway through the episode, he gets impaled with like a big spiky metal thing in the TARDIS. And then the brother, who's just the middle brother, who's just been a complete cunt the entire episode, like, didn't give a shit when his brother died, just took the thing from the TARDIS, even though it was like the worst idea you could ever do. All of a sudden, is kind of concerned about, oh, hey. This android dude is he's impaled through the chest, and he's like, "Cut off my arm! Cut off my arm!" And he's like, "I can't cut off your arm because you're not an android. You're human." I mean, he doesn't say that, but it's right. like that's the extent of like where that scene goes. Because I also want to point in. out, this is another scene that just is broken because because cutting up his arm wouldn't do a goddamn thing. You'd have to cut off his whole fucking like chest to get that thing out. That's one problem, and then the next problem is that when they finally decide, like, oh, "Okay, I can't cut off your arm," he just cuts. Through the bar, which is what you would do the first yeah. time anyway. Yeah. Why would you like? Why didn't he start by doing yeah, that? That's, that's but anyway, true. I forgot that that's how they gave him out. That they cut off the bar. Yeah. So we have to talk about this: the revelation that he is indeed a human. That that has to be one of the most evil things ever done in Doctor Who, right? It is. Yeah. It is fucking yes. That I mean, is. think of the amount, and they even say their motivation for doing it was as a joke. I mean, I think there was like eventually there was like a little bit more where. Their dad was going to make the younger brother a captain, and, like, the middle brother's kind of jealous, so it's like, I think that's really why he did it. But, yeah, they do say... We thought it would be a lot. Yeah, we thought it would be funny. It's yeah. like, we should just tell you that you were an android. But think, like, okay, Sean, can you even get into the mindset of someone who would have to, like, who would choose, all right, this is my little brother. I am going to make him believe he is an android. It will take months of psychological conditioning, even yeah. if he has amnesia. You would have to really work hard to yeah. get him to believe that and to condition him to know, like, all right, you don't feel pain, you don't feel fear, you don't feel emotion, all this other shit. Yeah. And then treat him like an android for the rest of time and make him your slave, essentially. Yeah. it's How evil would you have to be? You have to be really... Maybe that dude was the master all along. Maybe we just didn't even know. Like, maybe that's what's going on. Is the master really that evil? Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, maybe the master wouldn't even go that far. That's, yeah, it's really fucked up. And then it's like, it's really fucked up, but it's also just dumb. Yeah. Because it's so... It wouldn't work. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. And, like, how would that guy not realize that he's human? Like, at some point, you know, like, all he's got is a funny voice thingy and cybernetic eyes. When, like, he gets cut and blood comes out and he feels pain and he's constantly feeling emotion, he feels fear... It's like, how would he, when he has to eat, and he has to urinate and defecate, like, he's a fucking human being. Does he never get an erection? Like, he's a human. He it's like, like, it makes no sense. You would fucking realize if you were an organic creature or you were a mechanical creature. Like, there is such a world of difference apart between those two things. I think that's There's no way you could ever convince someone I'm a robot, unless that person was already crazy. Like, it's just not possible. Yeah. I and that little, and the younger brother was like the most sane character outside of the main cast. Like, he was like, 
he's kind of reasonable. Yeah, and it's just, it's so stupid. It makes it, and then it makes their forced attempts at like, I really do love you, younger brother. I would never forgive someone yeah, who did that yeah. to me. I was fucking, like, yeah, it's like one of the reasons why the ending, like the after the button, pisses me off so much is because they have like that little scene at the end where they kind of suggest. Oh, hey, like, he's not, because, like, the older brother who dies, like, is ten minutes in, like, is treating him like shit, and then, like, the middle guy's like, hey, hey, leave him alone. And it's yeah. like, okay, I guess maybe there's, like, a little hint that somehow crazy, the, their character development sort of happened, but it's like, but what he's done to this person is so unbelievably awful and has not been fixed because of the reset button where they, you know, he still thinks he's an android at the end of that episode. It's like... Yeah, and there's not going to be... The only way you would confess to that is if you were forced to. Yeah, yeah, like, he's in so deep. Like, this is probably going to be going on for years and years. Like, when are you just going to sit down and be like, Oh, hey, by the way, I lied. You're actually a human. Like, where, how are you going to have that conversation? You can't. Yeah, exactly. God damn, that fucking... It's so dumb. So fucking dumb. And just, like, to, like, try to have this heartwarming moment sort of thing where it's like... Oh, but, like, now he's sort of, like, he's, he's confessed his sins, and it's like, now the brothers can be brothers. It's like, no, because what he's done is the most awful thing you could do to somebody. Like, it's just so horrible. You know what talking about this episode makes me, the, the comparison I feel like I want to draw is? The what? It feels like the Prometheus of Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that is a good call, where there are some... Really cool scenes and some cool moments. Although I think Prometheus is mostly irredeemable. I think yeah. this is better than Prometheus. So, yeah, the first time you watch it, there are some cool moments yeah. and cool scenes with okay. Prometheus. And maybe it'll be true of this episode that when you rewatch it, it'll just be like, oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. How did I enjoy any of this the first That's time? That's very true. We've only seen this once. But yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I can definitely see that where it's like, it just. Well, Prometheus, apart. as we've said about Prometheus before, it is wrong about itself. Yeah. This episode is mostly wrong yeah. about itself. Yeah. God. All right, so one of the things we want to talk about. Um, Clara goes to the library. It's nice to see the TARDIS library we hear about so often. Yeah. And uh, for some reason, the Doctor has, on a fucking pedestal, a book called The History of the Time War. Yeah, like in, like a huge book in like big like embossed gold font, The History of the Time War. So who wrote it? Fuck if I know, because Dude. as far as I'm concerned, nobody even knows the Time War happened other than the Doctor and the Daleks. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, that's... You know, like you know, the state of the time war is one of those things. It's like we don't try to like figure out how like that time lock bullshit works. But, but you know, actually, Russell T. Davies's explanation does not necessarily make scientific sense, but it works fairly yeah, well. Yeah, it's like it, it works fair enough. It's like okay, like you know, nobody knows about this thing because it's yeah. like it's time locked or whatever. Like that's yeah, yeah, that works fine. So it's like yeah, who wrote that book? How did the Doctor get it? Why does, like, the Doctor who, like, has, you know, as evidenced by, like, huge portions of the Ninth Doctor and Tenth Doctor stuff, like, horrible, terrible, tragic, like, post-traumatic stress disorder over having been involved in the Time War and having ended it? Like, why would he keep this book of the history of it on this pedestal, like, at, like, this, like, like sacred place in his library of, like, oh, history of the Time War? Yeah, and, you know, it, it could have been, they could have changed one fucking word there, and it would have been so much better, just the history of the Time Lords. Yeah. I mean, this is a nitpick, but it's, like, it's weird. Yeah, it's just, it's, it makes you think yeah. about it. And then, Clara opens it up to just a random page, and then she's, like, she's, like, sort of flips through, and so she's, like, oh, so that's who. And then you come, so it's like, at first I was like, does that mean that she just read the doctor's name? Because that would make no, like, how would she possibly just open up the book and, like, 
decipher, like, somehow, like, okay, this is the Doctor's name, this is who he is, just by, like, glancing at a couple of pages. That would be really dumb. Then come the end of the episode, oh, that's what happened. She just opened up the book, oh, oh, so that's who the Doctor is, that's his name, and then it's like, they have that conversation. It's like, the actual conversation's fine, but, like, set up to get it to happen, really dumb. Makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, I thought... It was weird to me, too, because I thought they had an, an interesting little touch over there where the Gallifreyan Encyclopedia was, like, in bottles. Yeah. And I thought, you know, she's listening to them. It would have been way more interesting if she had, like, heard the name coming out of that or something. And I know they don't want us to hear it yet. Yeah. But there's still a way you could have fudged that, and that would have been less... They still could have done it, like, fast and efficiently without her just opening a random page. Yeah. And it's um, like, and how... Like, I'm just so curious how that was written down. Like, it was, it was like, John Smith also known on, like, most planets as just the Doctor. Like, yeah. how, like, you know, presumably the Time Lords wouldn't do that. Presumably the Time Lords would just refer to him as Theta Sigma, or whatever his name is in Time Lord Dumb. Maybe it's a footnote? Yeah. She saw? I don't know. An endnote? She was in the endnote section? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Um, yeah. So there's that. There's, uh, but, but and then the actual conversation, as you said, is fine. Um, I mean, do you want to... Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, like, it's just, it, for me, it, like, cemented the fact that, like, you know, been complaining about the Doctor Who stuff all the time on, when we do these recaps, but it is just, like, you know, they didn't make any of the puns this time, other than the That's Who is kind of one, but I thought that that's fine, that's actually kind of a decent one, but, like, yeah, the puns are really dumb, and they're also really frustrating because they don't actually do anything with the arc episode. It's just a reference to this is the ongoing plot, but we're not actually doing anything it's with kinda it. Like it's kind of like Russell... annoying. It's like Russell T. Davies' arc words, yeah. but worse. Yeah, because at least with the arc words, it's like you could basically ignore it, and they, they would also ultimately amount to basically nothing, but it's like, whatever. They're just there, just like, ah, whatever. You could just you could completely ignore it, because they would just be in the background of most shit. Yeah, but like the Doctor Who stuff, you can't ignore that. It is so in your face and annoying... But then, like, this, like, the whole conversation where he's like, like, I know your name. It's like, you shouldn't, don't say my, like, that whole thing. Just, it cements the fact that it's just a dumb plot. Just regardless of all, like, the stuff of how they're dealing with it. The idea itself is so dumb. And, like, and it's also really frustrating because you know they're never going to say the doctor's name. There's no fucking way that's ever going to happen. That would be... You know, there's, like, an interview with Stephen Moffat that we were talking about uh, before the podcast where he, he basically says, it's like, we're doing the name of the Doctor, like, we're doing it, we're, like, all that shit, and it's like, we're going to reveal the greatest secret the Doctor has. And he, but he never says in that interview, we're going to reveal the Doctor's name, where he specifically says the greatest secret the Doctor has, leaving it ambiguous, and it's like, oh, okay, so that way he can say that he hasn't lied when they're not going to say the Doctor's name, because there's no way. There's, you know, you're not going to do that 50 years into the fucking and show. And, more importantly, his name is not his greatest secret. Yeah, and it's not, yeah, and it's not important, it's not significant. Like, what could there possibly be behind his name that's like, if you say my name? It's like, what, you see fucking Voldemort? Like, that's what it made me feel like. It's like, you can't say my name. It's like, if you do, the world will explode. Like, fuck you. With Voldemort, it's just like, it's a fear thing. And yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. So, like, yeah, I, would, I can't even think of what an actual fictional, like, counterpoint would be to that. It's like... Yeah. It's weird. So I like, you had an analogy for it earlier. Oh yeah, I was like, like telling you, it's like, it's like if 50 years from now, Halo was still going on and they're making, you would just like, Halo 47 or whatever, like, like way past Halo has been good anymore and like people are like beating into the ground, whatever, and it's like, Master Chief is still the main character and you know, 
like Master Chief's thing is that you never see his face. That it's like he's always got the helmet on. He's always like fully suited up because you know that's just kind of a cool thing. And we've done, and it's been like that for long enough that they're never going to do it. If they didn't do it in Halo Two, they're never going to do it because it's become a thing. But it would be like if fifty years from now they made another Halo game, and the main plot of that Halo game was. If anybody sees Master Chief's face, the universe explodes. Because it's like this great secret. That's like the universe, like, nobody can know what the Master Chief looks like. It's like, and, you know, then he takes off his helmet, and then that's the end of Halo. Is that, like, we saw Master Chief's face, and, and everything's done. Yeah. It's just, like, this dumb little thing about the franchise that's, like, they didn't reveal his name early on, so they're never going to reveal it, because it's just, like, a cute little thing whatever, about the, about the series that, like, fans like that, like, don't want anybody to... It's always like, hey, will they say his name or will they reveal Master Chief's face? But nobody actually wants them to do it. It's just that fun little thing. And then turning that into a plot point, so fucking stupid. Unbelievably stupid. Yeah. Almost reset button ending levels of stupid is that. And, and, you know, I will say about this scene, it's this episode where Clara confronts him about it. I did think that was a... A step, a better step forward than what we've yeah. been seeing so far, and part of it is that because it wasn't just that, you know, the way the scene plays, it isn't just the doctor says to her, you know, I have to keep my name secret because it's a horrible secret, blah blah blah. It's not explicit in that way. Mm-hmm. It more, it sounds like the thing we've been revived who has always done, where there are things in the doctor's past he doesn't want to talk about, yeah. things he's running from, maybe on Gallifrey just something else related, and that, you know, his name is like a symbol of an identity he shed because he's ashamed of it or something. And that's something. And that's something, yeah. I don't know if it's good or not, but it's, like, that's... Yeah, it's, it's, it, is, it is a thing. Yeah. yeah. That's something you can run with, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I, that would be something, if, if that's what the name thing is, is, is it's more something about, like, things in his past or something. If they want to explore more of that... I don't know if I'm going to love it. Don't even know if I'm going to like it. Yeah. Might be annoyed by it, but it's it's not like trying to teach the like treat. If if the ending really of this season really is, they say his name and terrible stuff happens. That will be spectacularly dumb. Yeah. If someone they get into this and it becomes more about how the name is related to something else in his life, which is I think what it would have to be. Yeah. Then that's not as bad as it could be. Mm-hmm. So fair is fair. I wanted to yeah. say that. I've, although I, I just came up with another example of like what this plot line would be like in a different franchise. I okay. like this one a little bit more. It would be like if in Die Hard 27, the plot of Die Hard 27 was if Bruce Willis did not say yippee Kaye motherfucker before he defeated the villain, the world would explode. It would be like that. It's like this dumb little tradition that happened at the end of Die Hard 1. They did it again in Die Hard 2, so it's going to happen in every single Die Hard movie. And it's like it would be like if that became a plot point. <laughs> See, the thing is, I would like to see Die Hard do that, because that'd be fucking hilarious. It's like, Die Hard's been going on so long that it takes place in the year, like, 2172, like, John McClane got, like, cryogenically frozen and, like, just waking, woken up. That should be animated now, because Bruce Willis is dead, and they're just using old voice clips. Exactly. They had him record every word in the English language, so they could reconstitute it later. Yeah. God, that... (laughs) Alright, what else do we have to talk about with this episode? Um, you have a nitpick about the Eye of Harmony. Oh yeah, it's just a it's a little thing where they you know the Eye of Harmony is sort of like the the source of the power for the TARDIS and in like the the tenth Doctor and or the tenth anniversary special the three Doctors it's established that the, how the the Time Lords have all their power is that Omega 
like he's the villain from that. He's like an ancient Time Lord, like Rassilon era stuff. Like flew a supernova that was about to explode next to a black hole, and like like the energy like generated from that and like sort of suspended it is what like powers everything. And then Omega got like thrown into the black hole. He's in an alternate universe and all that shit. And so that's sort of how that's established. It is not that that is in every single TARDIS, literally. So that's like a little like continuity, like whatever. But I've said okay. multiple times that like. Doctor Who continuity is all, like, fucked anyways. But that's, like, a little... Like, I would appreciate it if, like, that little detail was, like, not fucked up. Right. But whatever. Of the things that are fucked up in this episode, that's pretty minor. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh... What other stuff happens? Like, I thought there was, like, a really kind of dumb... But, like, like, I kind of knew they were going to do it. But, like, a little, like, part where Clara was, like, running through all these hallways and, like, running past doors... And on the doors were, like, these really, what I thought was really shitty green screen effects of, like, because, like, the perspective on them just felt really off of, like, behind this door, open doors, like, a room where it's like, oh, that's where the swimming pool in the TARDIS is. Because we've made that joke, like, two or three times before of there's a swimming pool in the TARDIS, so we have to have this token, we kind of show it, but we don't do anything with it thing. I thought that was kind of, I expected that, but it still felt really, like, cheesy and overly self-referential and kind of just dumb in that way, but wasn't a big deal. You ever seen the movie Let the Right One In? Uh, isn't that's the vampire thing with like the the girl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's the movie. If that if this episode continued with like the super dark tone of the beginning, I feel like it would ultimately end. The climax would be set in the TARDIS swimming pool, and Clara would have to kill all the guys with her bare teeth, and it would just be the pool would fill with blood, and the that'd Doctor awesome. would just be disturbed yeah. to hell. That'd be <laughs> there. We go. That's how you end Doctor Who. Yes, right there. All right. But, anyway. Yeah. Try to remember any other details. Oh, there was one nice scene earlier on of like sort of like throwbacks to classic Who, where uh, Clara's in the the console room of the TARDIS, and like because like all the shit's going down and like time's all fucked up, she hears all these like voice clips from classic Doctor Who episodes. Of, yeah, like, there's like like the first one is Susan's like time and relatives I mentioned in space because this is this is a detail in Doctor Who that I always. Like, my understanding of how, like, this is originally established of the TARDIS's name, because if you watch an unearthly child, this is what they literally say, is that Susan came up with that acronym. And it's like, and that is specifically just this time capsule, like, Type 30 time capsule, is called the TARDIS because Susan came up with that name when she was a kid, and it's like a acronym for time and relative dimension in space. I never like it when they refer to, like, there being other TARDISes, because that's... I mean, they've been doing that forever, but it's like, I always wish this, like, that. I like that better. I like that, like, the TARDIS is just the TARDIS, and that's it. That's, like, the TARDIS's name. I kind of like that, too, because then I think the episodes that really, even ones like this that really like the TARDIS and explore it and clearly love it, or, like, the Doctor's Wife, yeah. they treat it as a singular, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and, I guess and, they do see other TARDISes in the Doctor's Wife, but the idea is still that this TARDIS is the TARDIS, and yeah. that's the one we love, and, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I wish they... Because because there's, like, sometimes in Classic Who, they would sort of, like, go on and off of, like, referring to them and generally as time capsules and not necessarily as TARDISes. Yeah. But now it's just, like, they're all TARDISes, and I don't like that. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's one of the nerdier digressions. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, like, it's always something that, I, like, occurs to me no, to use it that way in episodes. I, no, I get it. I just, it's like, that's one of the more obscure things we've yeah, ever talked yeah. about. And then... Yeah, but that I like... Because there's, like, a whole bunch of voice clips. Like, the, like the, I picked out the third Doctor saying... Dimensionally transcendental. I yeah. like that. I think there's something from the ninth or tenth too. Like they yeah, get there, there's a whole bunch. Like yeah. eventually, at some point, they started overlapping, so I couldn't like right 
There's a list here. It goes, uh, there's from an unearthly child, colony in space, robots of death, Rose, Beast Below, Smith and Jones, and the Doctor's Wife. Yeah. And probably some others. So, in any case. So um, that was a nice little, I like that. And and I liked, I you know, getting back to things I did like about the episode, I liked some of how they used the TARDIS in terms of its its kind of powers to move things around. And, like, I, I liked, there's, there was a good sort of action scene when the two echoes of the console room were overlapping. Yeah, that was a good scene. Clara was in one, Doctor was in another, and they had to find each other. I thought that was good. And the I, moment of, like, the sonic screwdriver being like, how did you just pull Clara out of this, like, alternate instance of the TARDIS into this one? With the sonic screwdriver. There was a lot of sonic screwdriver bullshit in this episode where he would just walk down corridors waving it. What was he hoping to accomplish? Oh, no. I think he was basically using it as a flashlight, as far as I could tell. Okay. I mean, he was really using it so that it has cool lighting and so that it has that noise, but. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've covered this one pretty. pretty yeah. Dead. God, that ending, though. God, that ending's so I'm bad. Sorry. Like, we'll go down in the annals of Doctor Who as just being, what the fuck was this ending? And how did anybody write that? Because fucking shit, that's really bad. Yeah, pretty pretty bad. <sighs> so, might as well give some theories this week, though. All right. Because this episode is indicating, you know, there's some stuff with Clara yet to come, obviously. Stephen Moffat has said, and Jen Louise Coleman have said, we will find out the answer to her secrets in the finale this year, why she is, you know, the impossible girl and stuff. And there was also a tone, I don't know if you read these interviews too, where it sounds like Clara might be someone we know. Like, they are indicating, like, her identity is something... Yeah. Like, I think they someone either Coleman or Moffat used the word identity. And it would seem to me like unless that she's someone else other than Clara, that would not be important. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think Clara, okay, if Clara is someone we know, do we want to run through the list just for fun and see who she could be? Who she could be. Like, if you're going, because it seems like the only way she could be someone we already know, she has to be a Time Lord, right? That regenerated? I think... I think she could be Susan. I think they could be yeah, doing something like, with that. She could be, if, if we're doing that, if she has, if she's a Time Lord, she'd be either Susan or Romana, who was a, the, actually probably my favorite companion, the fourth Doctor companion, Romana, who she's a Time Lord. Then there's also that one-off character from the Doctor's Daughter, where it's like the... That's like, they're not doing, clone. no. But no like, I'm just saying, it's like, yeah, okay. that's just one where it's like, I've always just like I mean I haven't rewatched that era in a while, but it's like whenever I did, I'd be like, "Oh shit, right? They did this, and that character is just like I feel like they fucked up in not killing off that character at the end of that episode because it's just like now there's just this weird fake time lord who has the Doctor's DNA like fucking about in the universe, like that's really weird. Yeah, well maybe Stephen Moffat's going to tie that together. Okay, we also know though Stephen Moffat has a boner for River Song, so yeah, oh, could yeah. she be River Song? I kind of think not, but, but I kind of think maybe. Out of all of them, I would hope that's it, because I don't, I don't want her to be Susan or Romana. Like, I wouldn't want that to be what they do with it. Like, that would be... I don't know. But it's like... It also, why, why would you not want that? Let's just explain. I, like, I really like those characters, and this seems like it'd be kind of a dumb way to try to bring them back. Like, I would, I would prefer there to be... Not like a, oh, hey, by the way, I'm Susan. It would be like, if you're bringing Susan back, have, like, some build-up to it of, like, you know, like, oh, shit, Susan's coming back yeah. kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, would you, just as a, an addendum to this question, would you like to see Susan this year? I, I think it would be cool if they brought her back, if, like have that be sort of like a big part of the 50th anniversary. Like okay. I said that before, that would be how I would do it. Because yeah. she is the main character of the first episode of the entire fucking show. She's also the Doctor's granddaughter. It would be a nice way to sort of bring that back to the show's origins as yeah. an anniversary kind of thing to have her character come back. 
Okay. Because also it's just kind of weird to have her, because the Doctor just kind of left her on Earth during, like, the Dalek invasion of Earth, like, to be with her, like, Earth human boyfriend or whatever. It's kind of weird. Similar with, like, the Doctor's daughter. It's kind of weird to have that character just sort of hanging there. Yeah. Of, like, you now, except, like, especially now knowing, because at that point in time they hadn't established that time once could regenerate or anything, so they didn't know. But it's like, now knowing that, it's weird thinking about, like, she would live fucking forever in future Earth. So yeah. having her come back in some way would be cool. All right, so there's that. Um, she is a physical manifestation of the TARDIS. <sighs> broken away from the... That would be fucking awful. And that's why she does not like the TARDIS. There's no way it's that. Okay. Like that's, that's the least likely out of all of these. I'm going to throw it out there. Yeah. You know. um, fine. She's, She's the master. She's the master. That's the other Time Lord. I would actually kind of like that. That would actually be kind of fucking awesome. That's like because of all the shit the Master went through getting sucked back through the Vortex yeah. at the end of End of Time, he's now fucked up and he's a different gender and he's been like well, dying we've, across we've time. we've established now that like the Time Lords can regenerate and be the opposite gender. So it's like that is that is canonical because of the Doctor's wife. So, because they mentioned at the beginning of okay, the episode with the, uh, um, that guy's called. Yeah. Um, but no, but it's it's more the whole thing of she's died twice yeah, and been yeah, yeah. whatever. So is that, that's that's just okay. that's just the like, and I would like to think that it's not that Clara doesn't know she's the master. Like the master's perfectly aware the entire time he's just or she's just fucking with the doctor. I would I think that'd be kind of cool. Okay, so we got that. Um, I saw the stupidest theory I think I've ever seen. For, okay, well, there's a lot of dumb Doctor Who fan yeah, theories, yeah. but I've seen that she is Rose. Yeah, and she's yeah. been brought through the like alternate dimension, the and now universe, yeah. yeah, that's fucking dumb. <laughs> Weirdly, more plausible than most of these things. I could, I could see like bringing her through the parallel universe has fucked up somehow, like her like being able to exist or something. I could kind of see that happening. In a I weird would, way. I would stop watching. I would, yeah, I think it would be dumb, but. I don't know. I think her being a character we already know is dumb anyway. I kind of agree. I, because, I wanna... because that, like, because there's nothing that fits with this idea of she dies but keeps on appearing somehow. Like, there's nothing yeah. in the history of Doctor Who that like deals with that with like a significant character. No. So, if like, he... bringing it, bringing any old character back in that capacity, you'd have to do a lot of weird retconning and explanation to try to pull that off in a way yeah. that's like, why even bother? Just have it be an interesting mystery and like come up with something like new for it. Yeah, I think if it is, if she is someone we know, I actually do think it has to be someone like Susan or Romana who's been gone so long that they have time to fill in if they're going to do it. Now, I'm not saying that's a good idea. I'm just saying with River Song, we've seen most of the gaps. There's there's nothing they can do with that. Yeah. I mean, unless her dying in the computer somehow, you know, makes her alive. As yeah. I don't know. I mean, like any explanation, like to, to bring any old character back, you'd have to come up with something really dumb. But if they did, I would love it if they like just like pulled some like really random like Victoria from the Second Doctor era, like this companion that's like in a couple of episodes. Just pull her back. Just be like, no, you're Victoria. It's like, well, no shit. Okay, it's Zoe. I like Zoe. I like Zoe a lot too. <laughs> All right. So anyway, how long has this podcast been? I can't read it. It's just like two minutes and thirty or two hours and thirty minutes. Holy shit! This yeah. was going to be a short one. No, it wasn't, because it's been going on for a really long time. So I know, but this was not... Okay, so we're done. 
Yeah, I that's think Doctor this, Who for this week. Yep, there will be more Doctor Who next week. Iron Man three. Yeah, and that's what I'm most excited for. Yep. We will be talking about Iron Man three. That will be the majority of our episode. You know the drill. Do not listen to next week's episode unless I mean we'll obviously give a spoiler warning, but don't listen yeah. unless you've seen Iron Man three. There will be also a time chart, so if you're not going to see Iron Man three, you just watch Doctor Who. Which, I imagine if you watch Doctor Who, you're going to watch Iron Man 3, and if you listen to this podcast and are going to watch Iron Man 3, you probably watch Doctor Who. Sure. Those seem like all parallel crossovers. Kind of. I don't know. Doctor Who and Iron Man seem pretty different to me, but... But if you listen to our podcast every week... Sure, maybe. I don't know. We talk about Doctor Who enough and Iron Man enough, it would seem to intersect. So we will talk about Iron Man 3. In-depth discussion will be longer than the movie itself, I'm sure. Most likely, yes. yes. And, uh... This podcast itself might be longer than Iron Man 3. I don't know what the... What it's the 130 is. minutes. Okay. So, so it is already, yes, much longer than Iron Man yep. 3. All right. But we'll talk about Doctor Who, The Crimson Horror. See you next week.